Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions. And that's what I'm going to do for you by inviting guests on the show. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. Every Thursday, my next guest uploads a podcast entitled Silence is Not an Option. It's a new weekly podcast series that he hosts. He can also be seen weekday doing primetime hosting CNN tonight. The podcast Silence is Not an Option embarks on tough, honest and provocative conversation with activists, artists and thinkers, offering perspective about the nation's deep racial divide while exploring what Americans can do to help find a path forward. He is no stranger to success. Ebony Magazine named him as one of Ebony Power 150. He has won an Edwin R. Murrow Award for his coverage of the capture of the Washington, D.C. snipers. He's won an Emmy for a special report on real estate in Chicagoland, AIDS epidemic in Africa, and Hurricane Katrina. He's also won three more local Emmys. On CNN Tonight, he is known for holding politicians and public officials accountable. He earned a degree in broadcast journalism from Brooklyn College and also ten- attended LSU. He is on the show to talk about his podcast and the power of not remaining silent. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, a voice for Black America, Don Lemon. Oh, thank you. Wow, what an introduction. I need you to introduce me every night on my show. Well, they do a great job of doing that, my friend, when I watch <laughs> you. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I met you a long time ago uh, when I was still managing Steve Harvey and the early years when you was, uh, you know, that's one we'll say we all find in that way. We all, you know, we all, uh, he came by the radio station and we sat down and we talked. Of course, you probably don't remember. You meet a lot of people over your journeys. But my first impression when I met you, uh, a friend of mine, Noni Nicholas, that introduced us, was that uh, you were a person who wanted to do great things in life. Explain to us, mm-hmm. who, who is Don Lemon? We see you on TV, but who are you? Before we get into the podcast. Um, uh, well, I am a truth teller and I'm someone who tries to uh, inform people. I've always been curious about life. And, um, I just, that's it. I just think I'm a truth teller. And then, so, you know, the pandemic hit and then, then amidst Mm -hmm. all this, you know, we can't do anything, but stay home and watch, especially when they did this nationwide shutdown. When did the concept of a podcast start to brew and started and then became a reality? Uh, it started after, right after George Floyd, mm-hmm. and we started tackling all these really tough things, conversations about race. People started asking me questions. What should I do? Um, you're on the forefront. You're at the matrix of this situation. I don't know what to do. Can you please help me out? And and then I just, you know, I figured someone, I, I, I was actually writing an email to CNN uh, to ask them to start a podcast. And lo and behold, I opened up my email and they were, they sent me an email saying, hey, would you like to do a podcast? So, so as they call it, serendipity. Oh, right? like a uh, great minds think alike. That's another phrase that they could use because great minds think. You know, I've listened to your podcast and it's really, you know, uh, you know, I do a podcast and I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. it's not. A, but your podcast feels visual. 
it, it, it feels it like does. A, it feels very visual and especially opening and you have such a great uh, tone to your voice and you're a great storyteller. Was that the goal? Because, you know, I, I set up, you know, you know, we all into audio books. We all into the But the, but the opening always feels like I can see the imagery of your of what you're trying to set before we actually get into the actual interview process. Talk about the whole production. And was that your vision? Did other people come in and say, can we do it this way? And you had some suggestions. So the whole podcast world was was something that was new to me. So I let the producers take the lead, but they go on the vision, pretty much the vision that I had. I told them what I expected out of the podcast, what I wanted to talk to people about, some of the subjects and and topics that I wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. And so they went from there. But I mean, the the producers are really good. I'm glad you you said that um, that it's it feels visual to you because that's quite an accomplishment when it comes to, to audio, as you know, having worked in radio. Oh, you know, th- that's the interesting part about it because the fact that, you know, you're on TV every night. Your, 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 your image, your look, your, your voice, you know, your voice is becoming, is starting to become such a, a commonplace in society that, you know, you could probably start talking in a room and somebody says, is that Don Lemon talking? Because they know your tone. They know, they know, they know the, the, the credibility of your addiction. And so that's why it was important to me. I said, well, I see him every, every, I visually see him. And then when I went to the podcast, I went, wow. He still is achieving that visual concept that his voice is telling a story that is very colorful, and how you open up mm-hmm. with these interviews and uh, and these and these short uh, these short visual uh, storytelling moments is really important to setting the tone for your actual podcast. That's really really a dynamic that I think is a uh, it's not really uh, it's not really normal in the audio podcast world. Oh wow! Well. Uh, that's the first time I'm hearing that. So, <laughs> come on, Don. Come on, Don. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not I, I think I'm a very creative guy, but I do know exceptionally good produced quality. And you are a guy who's popular. You're a guy who can't. Let's put it this way, man. You have a credibility, a brand that cannot be cannot be messed with. You know, because you know when you go to CNN, you have that model there. And we and, and you know, right. CNN, there's a certain degree of programming. When you get in the podcast world, you got people smoking weed doing shows. You got people you got people having sex shows. You have all kind of shows <laughs> out there in the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on. Because I definitely... <laughs> Because I definitely would like to to hear and see some of that. You know, it's funny, <laughs> oh, no, I was, just, I was just—I wasn't—it wasn't a podcast, but I was listening. I was watching um, uh, a Netflix thing on on healing, and right. um, and mm-hmm. there was one on on tantric sex, and I'm like, wow, man, they're talking about everything out here now. And Absolutely, the, the visuals were amazing. Right, oh, right, right. You, you think they're talking about it on Netflix? Go to the podcast world, and it's on fire out there. It's on fire out there. And so that's what I'm saying is that it's important that your brand translate in this world of anything goes. You know, it's like because nobody, mm-hmm. nobody basically has a has a has this disclaimer sometimes to be able to take content down. You have YouTube subscribers. You have you have a lot of things out there, people, and so that podcast world the wild wild west of entertainment and so you wanted to be entertainment but you also want to be informative and also you wanted to be responsible so when you came up with the title the title which is so important you know silence is not an option what was the basis of that title well the the basis was in this moment when we have when we we're talking about you know this george floyd moment mm-hmm. um when you have all these issues happening when you have people wanting um 
uh, equality, right. uh, justice, racial justice, criminal justice, so on and so forth, is that you couldn't sit around and no one should sit around and be silent about it. Right. Uh, no person who is who has a position of power, no white person or black person. If you feel if you feel that you if you're an American, mm-hmm. then you have a responsibility in this moment right. to speak <laughs> out and to um, and to talk about this, because race is, is the race is the third rail in American culture. You know, you touch it. It's a hot button. It's a hot rail. You're going to get shocked. Right. And people people want to. People want to have these conversations, but they're afraid to. They're afraid of, of being um, uh, of being judged. They're afraid they're going to say something stupid. They're afraid of someone calling them a racist, and so on and so forth. And I don't think that I don't think that you should um, feel that way in this moment. I think it's time for all of us to let our guards down a little bit, to give people um, to cut people some slack, and to talk about these things. And in, in order to talk, in order to change, you got to listen and you have to speak. You got to ask questions. So yeah. in this moment. Silence is not an option, and that's how that came about. And it's brilliant. Um, were you surprised, as as I was, the the, the doing the, the marches, the protest marches, the turnout of white participants? Um, yes and no. Okay, I was surprised that I was I was I was actually surprised that people um, that people actually did it for so long because and I was surprised that they were doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Was I surprised that we had, um, in, in the moment that w- was, you know, watching someone basically lose their life in front of our very eyes on, on, you know, on television, you know, you had Amon Arbery first mm-hmm. and then you had, um, and so many before, but I mean, just in, in recent, you know, in the recent months, you had Amon a, Arbery. A recent run. A recent run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and then you had George Floyd and I wasn't surprised that th- that would disgust anyone and young people, um, you know, they don't feel the way us old folks feel. Mm-hmm. They're, they're ready. They're ready for this to be over with. They're ready for, for the most part, if they're not being brainwashed by their, their parents or some political uh, party or organization, they're ready for this whole race thing to be done with. And I mean, and in a way that we not just like, not just say, okay, let's get this over with, but in a way that we tackle it, we deal with the issues and we stop, you know, we stop being racist. I'm not surprised to see so many people who are not of color, so many different ethnicities out right. there. I was just surprised that they were out there in the middle of a pandemic. And still out there. And still out there. And then and, certain and still cities. are out there. When I look at Portland, yeah. I go, okay, well, I've been to Portland. I've been to Seattle. The black populations aren't aren't uh, there with Black Lives Matter movement. And then you realize that the, the, the younger white generation is saying, okay, enough is enough. We see, we saw. What don't you see? Why don't you understand right. these these things that are happening? And when you when you talk about how do you pick your subject matter or your interviews for your show? And we're talking to Don Lemon. He's the host of the very hot, very hot, hot podcast. Silence is not an option. How do you how do you select your interviews? Um, again, a collaborative effort. But we talk. We usually talk about the issues that are out there. I mean, mine. Um, it's easy, and then it's hard because it's easy in that we know that uh, that we our subject is going to be something that is that relates to race, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and it's also easy in the sense that I feel that race touches almost every subject in America. If you if you look at Wall Street, if you look at finance, if you look at mortgages, if you look at healthcare, if you no, no matter what it is, I think race. Uh, plays a factor. If you look at policing, race plays a factor. If you look at sports, race plays a factor. So we know that we're going to be talking about the subject of race in whatever realm we may want to do it. And so um, really, we talk about the issues at hand. So now we have 
the sports world trying to figure out what they're going to do about COVID. And then you also have them trying to figure out what they're going to do uh, about justice. And so you've got all these players now who are feeling empowered. So we talk about sports. Uh, the podcast that's out now is with legendary journalist Bill Roden, where we talk about uh, sports. And he very provocative question that he raised during the podcast was, was integration good for black people and for black athletes and for black colleges? And, and I'm like, whoa, that was really profound. And we discussed that. Uh, we talk about um, education, the race, the, the role race plays in education. That's one of our podcasts. Now we're this, the subject that's coming up this week. We're going to talk about um, environmental justice. Right. Mm-hmm. What? How does race play a role in environmental justice? Do mm-hmm. do people of color live in places that aren't environmentally friendly to them? That causes them to get sick. Um, that may, you know they may be in a food desert and and so on and so forth. But we have to figure out a way. The tough part is making those subjects interesting enough that people want to tune in and listen to them. And again, I have to say. I have to get my producers because you, you still think to be things visual right. um, on subjects that people may not, you know, they may not be so um, interesting to people in the moment. Uh, but it's good that you feel that way when you listen. To well, it. So to that's f- how that's it's easy and it's hard. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Cars today are like a computer on wheels, but you can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a cover repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and car shield takes care of the rest they also offer complimentary 24 7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed car shield is america's number one auto protection company for as low as 99 dollars a month you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code money m-o-n-e-y or visit carshield.com and use code money M-O-N-E-Y, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code money. A deductible may apply. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Well, the thing about it is that we all know, you know, you are a face, but you win with great teammates. And the teammates are the producers and the people who follow your vision. Oh, and, yeah. and one of the things about that that I love watching about watching you on TV is that, you know, your face tells a story too, you know, watching you because, you know, you know, if it, if it bothers you, your face can sometimes, at least when I'm watching you, can tell me, okay, he's not liking this, or he, or he's annoyed by this. And but it also it shows that your face can also show that you that you care. Your face can also show that you're happy. Your face, your face can mm-hmm. also show that you're disappointed. Is that just natural? Uh, just Don Lemon being Don Lemon. Well, yeah, that's me, Rashawn. Listen, I have to say, you know, when I first started to, and you know, you you would know this from from you know, being in the business, you want to be perfect. You want everything to be, you know, I got to get this perfect. I have to read this perfectly. I can't can't portray anything. I I decided the, the, the more I became me or let me shine on television where there's no difference between me on TV and off TV, the more successful I became, the more people started to tune into my show, the, the, the stronger and louder and bigger my voice became. And I said, wow, all I have to do is just be me. Because not a lot of people can do that on in, in this industry. They think that they have to be someone else. They have to be perfect. They got to re- be a robot. They got to do this. They got to do that. When all you have to do is really just be you, be authentic, 
and and try to and try to portray what's right in the world. Right. Even when people are against you, then you'll be successful. We well, you know that's perfect because I always tell people if you're going to lose, lose being you. If you fall down, you can get up. But if somebody you is exactly. making believe it's harder to get up because you don't have people, you know, you don't have the puppet screens anymore. Once you get cut, you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. And it was a classic example. I was watching the, the night that uh, Kamala Harris was uh, announced as the running mate for Joe Biden. And you came on the air and you like you, you you broke that wall. You said, look, I'm going to do something a little different tonight. You know, um, uh, I have six sisters and you know, one of your sisters would have been 61. And uh, and you were saying mm-hmm. that, you you know, black women being recognized and have been the backbone of the Democratic Party. Uh, Trump does not poll well with women. And that was a moment when I'm talking about where you say, you know, something I can be Don Lemon. I can say this. I can I, I can mm-hmm. articulate this relationship I have emotionally and how I feel about the announcement of Kamala Harris. That's what you're talking about when you're saying when people listen to the show, we all can be great actors but in the end it's who we are that's going to create sustainability and create the relationship of longevity in this business can you articulate on that yeah well and it but it's also too i mean it it's also like an actor it's a, i would say and i don't mean like i'm acting or faking it's like a performance you have to be able to any performer even if you're being yourself you got to be able to hold the audience right mm-hmm. you have to be able to sit or stand in your power uh, and, um, and realize and, and own whatever platform it is that you have. So I can sit there. I feel, and, you know, that I've gotten to a point where I don't have to fill dead air. Like I'm not worried about quiet, you know, it sounds not an option in the podcast. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about, uh, silence on television. Sometimes that speaks more than filling it with words. That's something that I learned. Like when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to get my thoughts together and right. I go, huh. How do I say this? Wait, let me think about this. For and that's what you did when and you, you're quiet, when you, when and you're you quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you did when you when you made that, like I would say, broke that third wall, bring that wall of, OK, yeah. I am about to use this. This is not on. This is not on a teleprompter. OK, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I got to say this because emotionally everybody knows me. I'm a, you know, we're fans of you. But the, the be done lemon. I'm 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 just going to ask this general question because I I I manage a lot of talented people who are reach superstar level, and but in the entertainment side, and but you're in the uh, news side. You're in the side where um, you 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 know sometimes your credibility can be questioned. Sometimes uh, when you make a statement and it's the right statement, it can be questioned. How do you be? How do you maintain? who Don Lemon is and then maintain the message you're trying to deliver every night on CNN tonight? Um, oof. Well, I, I, I realize that I have, um, I have a great, I have a great responsibility mm-hmm. and I realize that I am, I am lucky enough and blessed enough to be able to have this platform. And so the only thing that I can do with it is speak the truth, my truth, I should say. Right. And, but my truth may not always be yours. And so I, you know, and, and so if you, well, you know, if you want to criticize me or what have you, then that's all part of the gig. Right. But I think the best thing I do is I learned that it's, I don't take anything personally because most people who are, if they want to be critical, they don't really know me. And the more critical you are of me, uh, the, you know, whether you critical in a good way or in a bad way, that means that, that, that shows you the, how big my voice is. 
and my platform is and how powerful it is and how much you're tuning in because people will tune into people they don't agree with or people they, as you know, from being in the business, hate watch or hate listen. Absolutely. People who hate you will listen to you or watch you more than people who like you. Absolutely. Because they need that. They need to be fueled by that. Like, oh, my God, it pisses me off. And so, um, you know, they, they need that stimulus. So I don't take it personally, and I just speak my truth, and I try to speak for the, the person who doesn't really have a voice and for the people for the people who don't have a platform. And I speak for the everyday people. And, you know, right now, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy, Rashawn, because everybody's calling me, not everybody, but the people who are mad at me because I have silence. I say silence is not an option. I speak up on issues of race that I'm a race baiter, I'm a racist. If mm-hmm. you, you know, if you read the blogs and you read any of the, of the, you know, press, I'm a racist. Why are you always talking about race? Why do you hate the white man? Why did you, I don't hate anybody. I'm just speaking the truth and people get mad. Mm-hmm. A, a white broadcaster can say the same thing I say and will not get criticized. But for me, because I'm black, I get it, especially from the bigots. Absolutely. And I, I get it and I respect you. That's why that, the questions that I answer, I'm a black man. And I know the type of business that you're in. I know the the level that you are when you when you because you 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 are, are allowing yourself to be yourself in a CNN format. And when you slide over to this podcast world, this is actually a voice that you can dictate and control. And that's when the criticism, mm-hmm. the stings can come even stronger. We're talking to Don Lemon. He's an amazing uh, podcast called Silence is Not an Option. Every Thursday he drops a new show. There's a couple of things I want to ask you before we wrap up that really on the COVID-19 side. Uh, early on in the COVID-19, uh, I was watching you and a lady called, you was interviewing a lady and she had told you that eight out of 10 black people who were hospitalized in Atlanta, I don't know if you remember this interview, had COVID-19. I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. When, when um, you had a stunned look on your face, if you just saw my face, it would have matched it. I just could not believe that number. Mm-hmm. And so when you mm-hmm. get live, because I'm sure you get prepped for the shows, but when you get information like that, that sounds so incredible that eight out of 10 COVID-19 patients that were hospitalized in the city of Atlanta were African-American. How do you compartmentalize that and then to go and still deliver what you have to deliver to the American people? <laughs> I have to keep my composure. Number one, you know, I, I got bills. Right. But number, number two, I, I've got to keep my composure so that I can convey, I can convey it to the folks at home. But but I'm honest. I was honestly shocked. Like you, I'm like, wait, wait, what? That's what you did. You went, you, you, and I was like, I was, I was like, I, I, I couldn't. In fact, I'm gonna tell you something. We're gonna. I want you to continue, but I actually came to work the next day. I went. I'm watching Don Lemon, and he has some lady on talking about eight out of ten black people in in uh, who had COVID nineteen in Atlanta were were, were black. And they were, and that, mm-hmm. then then I opened the AJC, which is Atlanta Journal of Constitution, and it was true. You, mm-hmm. I got to play that out. Behind closed doors in front of my employees. You get to play that out on national TV with a person in a kind of in a Zoom TV. It was, I remember the, the 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 clarity wasn't that good. It was because she had a bad Zoom camera. And here mm-hmm. you are on national TV going, really? I just the first time I've heard of any incredible information like that. Now you can continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it is, and I figure, you know. And that's the same way I ask questions that I'm asking. I, I try to sit there like a viewer right? and like people at home because people at home want to know, like, 
you know, they're getting, I, I may have been prepped for it by producers, right? A lot of it, some of it, you know, a lot of it is also happening live. And I, and I'll, and, you know, and I'll tell you, I'm getting this information when you're getting it. So you, 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 you know, bear with me, but, um, yeah, because I'm speaking for the people at home. I'm asking questions for the people at home, just like you, Rashawn, the people who are listening to, to us now. Those are the questions that I ask. Again, that's why I don't sit there and try to be perfect. Like, you know, when people, when your mom says, act like you've been somewhere. Right. Okay, I get that. <laughs> but sometimes you really haven't been somewhere and you just have to, <laughs> right? and, I just have to say, I, I have never been here and I'm taking you here with me. And guess what? I was alone for the ride and I was like, I was, I was, I was so traumatized by the information. I actually tuned out the rest of the interview. I was like, it's crazy. I went to those terminologies, those level of, of terms, like, no way, no way. How could this be? Mm-hmm. And then, then you realize, okay, that then as you start playing off, you do the research, you realize that, you know, the COVID-19 was uh, overtly affecting the people of color, people in the black community. And uh, and 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 then and this, the White House had nothing to say, but whatever. And that also affects you emotionally. And then I want to fast forward to a recent interview, I believe last week, where you was interviewing this family. I believe it was in Florida and the husband and uh, and, and uh, her father in law had died from COVID-19. Right. You was interviewing the family. Yeah. It was the children's dad and granddad. They were both doctors. Yes. And they both contracted um, COVID and they both died, father and son. And I think they died a couple of days apart in the hospital. I'm going to tell you something, Don. I know that was a difficult interview. I, at times. Yeah, why? You know, you know, I, and so I, I wanted to bring that up in, in my interview with you just to show you the range you know the range. Sometimes you can get get lost in this information pool and just be doing your job. To see that mm-hmm. here at the at the height, at the be- very beginning of unknown, you find out that eighty percent of the people in uh, COVID patients in, in Atlanta, Georgia, were African Americans. And then you do an interview last week, a white family, attractive white family, because you mentioned that in your interview. And mm-hmm. they and they were doctors, and they still were victims of COVID nineteen. And we still have people out here, you know, condemning masks, calling it a fraud, and all that. But you have to hold it together, and you have to be that that sustained voice of reason, of credibility, and information. That's a tremendous burden, Don. I I'm not trying to weigh you down, my friend, but I have to give you respect <laughs> because I love you, man. And I, and you can't you can't stop. You can't stop. I won't let you stop, man. I, I support you to the mountaintop because you are taking us there. And I just wanted to just talk about that range when from 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 that that black information at the peak, at the beginning of COVID and we at the peak of COVID right now and you're talking with the father and grandfather Give us that. Give us that. That in, in the middle of all that, George Floyd. Yeah, uh, and, and and George Floyd. But I mean, listen, you gotta. I, I, this is. I gotta I'm, be honest with you. I've never. I don't. Nobody's gone through it, this before. I've never dealt with this before. Right. With anything like like this, with the with the race issue to this level, with the you know people being sick, obviously at home. Look, a lot of people don't even know where their next meal is coming from. You've seen the lines out there for the, the food banks and, and mm-hmm. what have you. People at home, they don't even know if they're going to be able to pay their bills. They don't know if they're going to get evicted. They have no idea. This is unprecedented times. And then we have an administration who's pretending that it's not happening, who's also trying to restrict uh, voting rights and suppress votes. This is an unprecedented time. I want to I want to sit in my bed and not get out and, p- and pull the covers up and, you know, close the curtains. But I can't. I've got to, I, I, like you said. You don't want to bring me down, but that that's the responsibility I took on with this platform, and I have to bring it to people now 
And I think it's even more important. It's never been a more important time to be a journalist in this country. And either you're going to do it right or, or wrong. And I, I hope I'm doing it the right way. You're doing it great. Uh, you, you state this is a statement that came from your people. America is in crisis right now. A lot of people want to help, but have no idea where to start. In our new podcast, we're going to dig deep into the reality of being black and brown in America and explore what you can do to help find a path forward. We'll have tough conversations with activists, thinkers, and leaders. I love that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar interview that you've done. But more importantly... Mm-hmm. We get to rebuild America together. Don, I, I, want to, I want to thank you for taking the time to allow me to have an honest conversation with Don Lemon. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> allow me to do this as well. And I know you've been trying to get me for a while, and I, I had some scheduling issues, but I wanted to make sure that I, I got on to speak with you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your And be listener. safe. And always know you and got an advocate out here, man. And we're going to promote you and keep you at the front lines of information and also let you understand that your support group is very, very strong. There are haters, but the line of lovers. When I say lovers, I mean people who advocate what you stand for, advocate your voice, and uplift what you're trying to do for us every night on TV and on your very, very successful podcast. Silence is not an option. Keep going and keep dropping them every Thursday, okay? Thank you very much, brother. I really appreciate it. You take care and you be safe, okay? I will. Love to you. Thank you. This report is brought to you by Northwestern Medicine. Organ donations save lives, and some organs can even be donated by a living donor. August is National Minority Donor Awareness Month, so let's check in with Dr. Danae Simpson, Assistant Professor of Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. Tell us about the African American Transplant Access Program. So this is my baby. This is a program that I have dreamt about creating since I became interested in transplant as a trainee. And it's a program designed to address the significant disparities that our African-American patients face. The program is designed to educate patients about transplant, let them know what transplant can provide to them, and to help them access the resources that they find so scarce and so challenging to access in order to get them on the transplant path and back to, you know, some type of meaningful life. For more information, visit nm.org slash radio. My next guest is a Grammy Award winning artist, songwriter, producer, actress, and philanthropist. What started as a willpower challenge in 2014, the vegan lifestyle has improved her mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical state. Over the past four years, she has hosted monthly vegan challenges online accompanied by her vegan transition guide, a free starter guide for people interested in transition transitioning to a vegan lifestyle. She has celebrated 22 years as an internationally known singer, songwriter, producer, dancer, choreographer, actor, activist, and philanthropist. She's on the show to maybe, maybe help me curb my bad eating habits because I can tell you something. I, I will start every dinner with a good old ice cream, a good old cookie, a good old piece of dessert that has, you know, milk and eggs in it. She's inspired to make people like me do better because she may have found the fountain of youth. We also will talk about her role in the second season of the popular Fifth Ward drama now streaming on UMC.TV network. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Maya. Hello there. How are you? Well, I had a lot to say about you, Maya, before we got started, huh? <laughs> that was a handful, a mouthful. All well, you know, good. Well, that's what happens when you've been out there for 22 years, my friend. That's <laughs> a blessing, you well, know. It really, it really is, you know, because, you know, we all start out. I can I can think back because I my I started out at IBM. I was my degree is in mathematics and then I wanted to be a stand up comic. And I, and I left IBM to pursue a career as a stand up comic. And 
you know, those all we it was so far away where I wanted to be. To, in fact, where I am right now, I didn't even see myself being at this point. All I wanted to do was just be successful. And at the age of 18, all you wanted to be successful. Talk about those early years of, of reaching that success. And then we'll talk about, you know, finding yourself as to where you are right now today. Well, I started out as a child of the arts and it's something that I just love to do. Outside of school, of course, but I was also involved in gospel choir and mm-hmm. the orchestra and the dance team at school. Mm-hmm. And those were the highlights of my day because kids would come together for a common goal, whether it was to compete or perform or put something together ourselves to showcase. And it was all love, all great synergy, all common goal and uh, about success. But we had to have discipline. And so my early years from four years on, four years old on was shaped by the arts, but also I come from a very musical and artistic family. So I was always around it and always, uh, I would say, given examples of what to strive for and to be. Uh, My father is a musician who inspired me greatly. Um, ever since I could remember as a little girl, there were always musicians in the living room or the garage rehearsing for his gigs. He's been in the studio. I had some early ex- experiences in my childhood, just going to right. the studio to watch him record, watched him put out vinyl and press it himself on his own label, get his songs on the radio regionally or locally and hustle and grind. So I've always looked up to my dad in that aspect, but singing is just something, and music is something that I've always been involved in through the arts, but with family ties as well. There was never a day without music, so I just kind of fell into it, and the record deal came first because I was initially going to pursue Broadway, which was acting, right. singing, dancing, choreo- choreography, etc. Um, so it just so happened, the record deal came first, and I still want to do theater, passionately. Um But yes, it is a very competitive business. It does take a lot of rehearsing, perfecting your craft, and also business before your art, often in the field of business. You know, it's all fun and games and shows with the viewer, but there's so much legality involved in doing just one thing. (laughs) You know, know, hearing you talk, you're absolutely right. The business side pops up into the whole process, but... I think that my early years and uh, as I went through was trying to control my own destiny, you know, trying to control my own mm-hmm. get up and go to bedtime. And so that's the most frustrating thing, I think, when you get into entertainment is because it's not like a, a regular nine to five job. You know, you you go to work at nine, you get off at five, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go to work at nine. You go up the next day, something you may have prepared to do may not happen. It might not happen for months because somebody changed it or uh, a record label closed or the person you was going to do the duet with or the, or the show with or the role with opted out of it. So do you feel at this point in your life you have more control of your life, even though the success you had was so immediate and so amazing at the age of 18? Well, it's something that I've always loved, you know, backtracking, regardless of the business that has to be done. That's required in every field or every profession, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, but that's never deterred me, and that was my point. I'm still here, and I've learned the business as an independent label 
as an independent artist that signs to her own label, I've had some on the business, so now I have more value as not just an artist, but a complete entity that knows the ropes. And I'm still learning. You know, I'm always a student, but I've learned so much more on the business side. And it's actually inspired me and made me more passionate about music because now I have the freedom to do whatever I'd like creatively, but also protect my art and protect my heart. Uh, so it's a great place to be, especially now in the social media days. And nothing is going to stop me because, yes, um, labels have definitely transitioned and they've been through layoffs or merging with each other. As you see, the airlines and many corporations doing these days because that's just the way of today, downsizing. And obviously technology has replaced a lot of or decreased sales um, in the old way means physical copies and record stores have closed. But I've also watched the transition from my first album being on cassette tape or recording to tape itself versus digital, you know, photos or anything like that. And here we are today doing albums on laptops wherever you are in the world and mixing and mastering either on your own and then distributing it on your own. There's so many new ways and it's very exciting. So, I've transitioned with the times as well on the business front, but there's always something around the corner new to learn, a new app, you know, to be aware of. And it's hard to keep up. <laughs> it's great to have you back on my show to talk about your wonderful career. 22 years in the business. You celebrated this year. Now, when you talk about that, your Planet Nine, it's really amazing that a lot of times when we see things that we're doing as we get older, you really saw it when we were younger. We just take it because your father was an independent guy who went out there, dropped his own later, did all the recording. Was that an inspiration for Planet Nine? Uh, I wasn't even thinking about all of that that I'd witnessed mm -hmm. when I created Planet Nine, but it's always been in me. So subconsciously, I'm sure it had a play. When I released, well, when I was recording my fourth album, the release date got pushed back upon its release and I was signed to Motown within the Universal System at that time. And when it got pushed back, it accidentally released in the furthest territory of our globe, which is Japan, right. which is like a day ahead. And right. so there was a leak there. And from there, the album leaked everywhere online, on YouTube, et cetera. And so now people had it for free. And that was a big financial hit to the record label. So they shelved the album. And my lawyer said that, okay, it's technically out in the marketplace right now, which means uh, you can get your back end advance if you take them to court, or you can just leave that alone and go independent. So I didn't feel like spending a year or a year and a half or even funds um, to try to get money. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, and I just moved on, and that's how Planet Nine was birthed. Um, I started studying astronomy and getting into a spiritual place and creating my own laws, my own rules, my own timeline that didn't operate, uh, you know, with the timeline that everyone else had enforced upon me on Earth. <laughs> you so know, basically, so basically to, you were controlling your life, your destiny. That's what I'm talking yes, about. You know, controlling you my life, creating mm -hmm. my own world. And that own world was an own planet. And... That's how Planet Nine was born through the beginning of my independent journey where I had to become everything and I had to dictate everything, but also become my own disciplinarian, my own financier, my own bank manager, lawyer, whatever it took. 
and here I am, <laughs> you know, in the 13th year of my independent journey and nine independent uh, projects. Now, you know, to go independent, you, you, you don't do this by yourself. So I'm assuming that you had to have people around you that understood your vision, vision that woke up or awake when you needed them to be awake and believed in you and f- move forward. Well, did you have to reformulate or create a new team when you decided to create this level of independence for your own career and for you personally? Well, I had already had my creative team, meaning my musicians mm-hmm. and dancers, as well as engineers, et cetera, and my own studio. In 2005, I moved from California back home to my roots to take care of family, to start my nonprofit organization. And, you know, my brother built my studio for me. I became a teacher and developed all the curriculum in the arts and tech program, the Maya Arts and Tech Foundation. And so I did that for years at home prior to the break and the split with my label, Motown, in 2007. So I already had a team that I was touring with, but they were out of my hometown. So it felt like family. And, you know, that was a great cushion to have because I needed them more than ever. And they also relied on me at the same time. So we hit the road, you know, and that's how I grinded for years to fund my project. And I still, still do for all of my projects, but at least they were in place, but I was self-managed and I had learned a lot, you know, doing independent before I became independent to get my vision across when I was, you know, with a, a major label and Prince actually inspired me because in 2004 I saw him live and he inspired me to, really focus on building a team where right. I, I felt, you know, they wouldn't be hot, skipping and jumping between artist to artist with no passion, but just a paycheck. And so that's why I developed a team in my hometown. And, you know, we're still rocking to this day. Uh, and sounding great at it. Um, Maya, when you, when you, when you look at, um, Cause you're, you know, when I, when I listen, I listen, artist, songwriter, producer, actress, philanthropist. Now, Let's transition to the role that you've been playing for the last two seasons on Fifth Ward. Greg Carter, who I've been knowing since 1992. Jaylene, I've been knowing her since 1992. Carl Anthony. Uh, so there's so many people on that show that I know. How did you get involved and get the opportunity? Because that shoots in Houston, Texas. And you already said your base is Washington, D.C. How did Maya get an opportunity or learn about the casting opportunities for this series that shot in Houston called Fifth Ward? Well, I have my own management company, Hugh Entertainment, and basically it's all over my website, social media, and they reached out to my manager, and uh, I read the script. I read the script, and I was blown away. It kept my attention. It was a one-take read. I didn't deter away from the script. It caught my attention, and it felt like real life, you know, that we don't necessarily often get to see on television. And I do have ties with Fit4 because that's where I recorded one of my second independent projects, uh, Beauty in the Streets Mixtape Volume 1. And I met with Jay Prince, and we started doing business together in 2009. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I I recorded the whole album out there, and we partnered up independently and pushed that out between Rap-A-Lot, Young Empire, and Planet Nine. And so... Getting to spend that amount of time, but also teaming up with uh, artists from Houston, Texas, all over that mixtape. 
you know, it felt like a second home for a while. So, right. I, any, uh, any, any favorite? Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm born and raised. In fact, I was born in Fifth Ward, by the way. And yeah. so, Houston, Texas. So, any favorite eating spots in Houston that you've uh, learned to like? <laughs> we actually went to Papado's quite often. Oh, come on, I think it was. Uh, come on, I think now. it was Joe Crab or Crab Shack or something like that. Way back when I was not vegan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, you hit two of them right there, but Papado's. Come on now, Papa <laughs> I used to get well, crawfish from there all the time. Yeah, yeah can't go wrong but, with um, of those. Yeah, well, um, you know, yeah. So, because you know, I, I wanted okay. to transition that 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 food conversation that we've been okay. having right now. Papa Do's <laughs> is not the the place that... Now, when you went to Papa Do's, what did you eat? Because you're vegan. So and, and, uh, when you walk in that restaurant, that's a good starting point. And you're vegan. You're going to a place, a popular restaurant like Papa Do's. What, what does uh, Maya, a vegan, eat? Well, I don't know because I haven't been back since. But when I was not vegan, I was having mashed potatoes. Oh. And, you know, mm-hmm. all the carbs, mm-hmm. <laughs> the green mm-hmm. rice. Mm-hmm. And the crawfish. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure I would have a salad, and I would have to take the cheese off. Mm-hmm. You know, no meat, of course, and veganize it. Uh, but you know, I'm sure they have broccoli or corn on the side, and all the side dishes you can probably have without the butter. You know? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Now let's let's go to, to this book that uh, that may change my life because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sincere person. I'm I'm the worst eating person that you can come into because of the fact that I don't follow the rules. I um I will eat ice cream when I feel like it. I will eat a donut. I have Krispy Kreme on an app on my phone by the way, Maya. So just in case I nice. just want to find out where if the lights on so I can just drop by there and pick me up a couple of donuts <laughs> and some milk. And so your book here, you know, which began as as you said, what began as one of my many willpower challenges in 2014 quickly evolved mm-hmm. into a permanent vegan lifestyle change through education and awareness. Now, when you say yes. willpower challenges, what are willpower challenges? It's the first time I ever heard anybody say that. Willpower challenges. Well, I started these willpower challenges in 2007 when I became independent and I knew that I would need to begin to trust myself but also master myself, every part of myself and become my own trainer, nutritionist, everything, because there was no longer the support or budget there from a major label to do those things for me. And so I had to become those things. And in order for me to become those things, I had to instill discipline. So I would strip something away from my life every year for 365 days or do these crazy things like run a marathon with no training, 26.2 miles or you know, these master cleanses for 10 days straight, no food. Come on, come on. Hold on. Now, 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 miss in shape here now. You just said you <laughs> ran a marathon with no training. You just, yeah. just, just up and just start running. That's what you just said, Maya. I mean, you're supposed to train for eight months before you run a 26.2 mile marathon. Right. And I had two months to try to get it together because two months prior, I just decided I was going to go ahead and run after ankle surgery because my doctor told me not to <laughs> and I knew that I could do it with my mind and that year I was vegetarian but I put myself through pain I also conditioned myself with these types of things because I know I'm going to need it in life but I also do a lot of stripping away of the things that I do like because a lot of the things that I like are not necessarily good for me. And so if I can let go of the things that I really like, then I won't overreact when something is stripped away from me. So it's mental conditioning, really. 
And that allows me to succeed, but also take the blows a lot easier and then start over again, you know, from nothing or not knowing something and become a student and remain a student and stay humble. These are are a series of willpower challenges. Well, you just challenge yourself. Well, you you look in the mirror and go, hey, I'm going to do this because I I like that. I like that's that's a potential book for you. You know that, right? Maybe. <laughs> uh, now. We're going to talk about this other book that I'm reading here that you're giving away for free that you need to be charging people for. You know, obviously, well, you know, this is a. I want people to have the information. And it's not quite a book yet, but it's a it, vegan it's a, starter guide. I, it's, a, it's a young lady <laughs> called J.J. Smith selling like three million copies of green smoothies. And yeah. it's not even thicker than this. Okay. But that's okay because I I'm planning on I'm going to be recording an audio book for the Starter Guide. There you go. You know, people have people like to listen versus read sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And both will be available. But because I'm so passionate and this information is everywhere, but people often ask me questions about how to go vegan, why to go vegan. Um, this is too difficult. Can I go vegan on a budget? Can I go vegan if I have family members that don't want to go vegan? How do I make my family go vegan? I wanted a place that people could go to to answer all these questions instead of me typing paragraphs, you know, on social media all day. And I just give them the link because I really do want to offer this information that's free and available everywhere else. And that's because I'm just passionate and it's done so much for me and it's no secret really but there needs to be one place with all of this information so that's how it started and I usually use it as as a tool for the vegan challenges that I do monthly online Okay. To help people further, you know, okay, cool. what they like to do. Well, you know, I, the name of the show is Money Making Conversations, Maya. Okay, I'm just let you know. <laughs> I'm just being consistent with you now. Rushon yes, McDonald, this is how I talk now. If I see an opportunity to make money, I will and I will and tell somebody, hey, this is the money making opportunity here. But of course, yeah. you, you've you told me, Rashawn. This look, is the work. This is this the philanthropy. This is also me being a student. And becoming a teacher simultaneously. So I'm also learning while people are asking me questions. And so now it's propelling me into this space. This is me doing my homework. <laughs> when I see a book like this, first of all, it's informative. Secondly, we're in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic. And when and when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, it obviously stated that uh, people of color, black and brown, are overtly affected by COVID-19. I remember when the CDC announced in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm based, it said 80 percent of the hospital cases for COVID-19 the first week that they started making the information public were African-Americans. And then they turned around and they said, and then I started reading your book and you're saying that being a vegan can help you because you said you state that you have seen countless suffer from of the people, you know. Uh, countless mm-hmm. for diabetes, cancer, obesity, clogged arteries, high blood pressure, heart disease. This is all what's really basically either causing African-Americans or people of color to get sick or dying from COVID-19. Has because of COVID-19, have, has, has there been a major push towards you to get information? Because you are an expert at this. And and I brought you really on the show to talk about Fifth War, but also talk about this whole vegan lifestyle, which can, because we've always known that people of color have always been uh, dramatically criticized for our eating habits. Well, that is not our fault. And because of slavery, you know, black folks, we have had to basically 
take what is left over, the scraps and the remains, and make do with that. And that is where we are plagued with issues because we've been taken out of our, uh, our environment. Excuse me. We've been taken out of our environment, away from our natural sunlight, vitamin D, away from our natural foods, which is not accessible here in America unless you were already here as a Native American. You know, my, my grandmother was a chocolate American Indian. And so... You know, there's been a lot of confusion about that, too, but that's a whole other conversation. Anyhow, we don't have access. We are no longer living in nature. Mm-hmm. We're no longer living near the equator. So we've been given things that our bodies are not made for. That's number one, geographically and based on habitat. And so, of course, our bodies are going to react accordingly. If we're not in the sun as people, like we need to be, uh, biologically speaking, then we suffer as well. Our immune system is compromised. And so going back to nature, and when I say vegan, that doesn't necessarily mean healthy, but that's the starting point, plant-based stuff, because what's happening to our food system, and meat in particular, even the FDA says, you know, processed meat is, Causing cancer in right. humans and and pets. <laughs> right. You know, I've lost three animals to cancer, and I'm sure that's your reason. So, you have that factor, but then you also have everything that I mentioned regarding habitat and access. And then you have economic issues where in the hood they put liquor stores, you know, and markets right. and fast food restaurants, not Whole Foods. So we have a lot of things that are backwards, but it's been designed that way for us to fail. And then we also have habits that we've adopted not too long ago from slavery that are hard to break, you know, the white sugar and everything. But you have a but you and, have a potential plan here, though, Maya, that can yes, help us. And, and that do, is starting let me, let me ask you, vegan Let me ask you, because you, <laughs> you're high profile. You, you're a celebrity. You're a star. And a star in the African American community. All right, how do we? You know, I'm not saying it's not out there. It may, you know, Rashawn just coming to the table. I've always been a fan of your brand. Just the first time I've heard the vegan side of your brand. How do we help get this information out there? With you being the face of it, how can I do that? How can Rashawn McDonald help you? Well, the starter guide is available at mayamaya.com forward slash lifestyle. My social media page is mayaplanet9. That's with the number nine. And I conduct monthly challenges that everyone globally can participate in. I have lots of incentives and send you lots of goodies, including my free wine, a virtual meet and greet. And sometimes when the world is open. I do one-on-one time, cook for the winners. Also, we've gone on retreats in the past, and I'm planning on another one, of course, when COVID-19, et cetera, is over. But that's what you can do. Just spread the word. Okay. The starter guide let is me, free and available. Okay. I'm not Maya, but I'm not Maya. I got about a, social, about a million social media followers. Can I, can I put your vegan start a kit on my social media. You absolutely cool. can. Now, it's on available. Wednesday, this Wednesday, I, I have a fan club list that goes out to 93,000 fan club members. Can I drop it in there with your picture? Sure. Okay, absolutely. cool. So, we got, so two things. I'm, I'm two for two so far with Maya. Because, you know, when I when I look at this, I say, what do vegans eat? 
fruit, that's me. Figs, that's me. Vegetables, nuts, seeds. Uh, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm all up in there, that first part, you know. So then they say what vegans don't eat. And they go into, you know, land mammals, cow, lamb, goat, pig. See, right there. Pig is pork ribs for me. See, that right there. That's when you start losing Rashawn McDonald. Chicken and turkey. I had that this weekend. See, But here's the good news. Hmm? Here's the good news, though. You don't have to give up anything that you already like okay. to go vegan because there's a plant-based version now available everywhere. But also, you can make with the beans, the nuts, the seeds, and some nice flour like spelt flour or coconut flour, chickpea, chickpea flour, some alternatives to the white flour. Mm-hmm. There's wild rice, there's black rice that's better for you. Quinoa, superfood, ancient grain, that's better for you than the white rice. So like I said before, vegan doesn't necessarily always mean healthy because there's a lot of junk food that's vegan. You know, there's Ooh. vegan donuts, vegan fries. Did you say, ju- did you say junk food? You said junk food. I've there's never heard of what junk of, food yeah. and vegan tied in the same sense. There's sentence. a whole lot of junk food that's okay, vegan. See, man, you chocolate we, cakes, we, there's donuts. But we about to we about to have a relationship here now, Mike. You said the word <laughs> junk food and vegan at the same time. But, but you can have vegan mac and cheese. You can okay. have vegan version of collard greens. You can have vegan candied yams. We're just replacing the animal fat-based butter with a vegan butter that's made from plants. It tastes exactly the same. Okay, let me ask you this. Better. Let me ask you this, Mike, because I'm having mm-hmm. a good time with it. I hope you're enjoying this interview because I'm having a good time. You have a good yeah. personality about it. Wait. Okay, now, <laughs> do, you, do you have any videos where you cook stuff? I actually did my very first virtual cooking session okay. online okay. last Saturday. How, how was the and response? How I'm was the reaction? Be, what did oh my you goodness, do? it was sold out. It was sold out. Okay, wait, okay. first of all, <laughs> stop, 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 stop. You, you're too much. You're too much now. Okay, now. Okay, you said online and you just, so did you do a Zoom registration? What did you do? Yes. What? Okay, so I am a member of a platform called Candy and you can find them at Meet Candy on Instagram and basically they sent out a letter, newsletter, a flyer. I also post it. I invite people to come to the virtual cooking session. There's a link, meetcandy.com forward slash celebrities forward slash cook with Maya. It's how you book your space. It's only exclusive and limited to 20 people on Zoom at a time. Mm-hmm. And so I give them two weeks to sign up. And what I do is craft a whole recipe as well as ingredients and tool supply kit list. I just posted it. It's on my Instagram page, but it's okay. my last post. But mm-hmm. I send them all the ingredients that they get in advance. We make an appetizer, a main course, and a dessert live together. But they get all the stuff in advance so that they can go shopping and we can cook simultaneously together. The first hour spent cooking and preparing everything. And then we eat together for the next 30 minutes, talk, chop it up. And then the last 30 minutes are spent with a Q&A. Okay, cool. I gotta slow you down. Slow you down. See, see, now you just okay. <laughs> see, you and me, we're gonna get along. I know we're gonna get along. This ain't gonna be our last call. It's not gonna be our last call yet. Because of the fact that what you're doing is a whole game. See, he, you're looking at a guy now who during the pandemic, I actually planted, you know, sage and dill and jalapeno mm-hmm. peppers and tomatoes in my in some pot, flower pots in my backyard you know so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm leaning in that direction and i was stunned at the harvest that i get every day 
from my backyard. Now I'm ready for right? okra next year. I'm ready for oh, me some man. cucumbers. I'm really yeah. planning stuff for next year. And so, That's so with amazing. that, so so I hear you talking about. Now I got to ask this question, not to be embarrassed, not to say, can you cook though? My, are you oh my goodness! I put my foot in my food. Okay, People don't good. even know it's vegan when I put okay, it. So you're, it's talking noise, you're talking noise. You're talking noise. I know you're, you're an actress. You know you, family, you can overly I'm embellish disability and I'm stuff like that. I'm telling you. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm telling you, all my friends, they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is good." My family who eats everything that I don't eat anymore because I just went to your social media. I'm just telling you this. I'm just telling you this. I'm just telling you this right now. Mike, I just went to your social media. Okay. You have a Twitter mm-hmm. and you have an Instagram. That's all I found. Twitter and Instagram. I didn't see uh-huh. no pictures of food. I didn't see what? no pictures of you holding food. I didn't see no you pictures of you left. eating food. I didn't, none you of that. And you, and then you're going to go, then you're going to go, I put my foot in it. This is what I do, Rashawn. See, I see that's like you talking see? smack to me, Mike. No, I don't talk smack. I back it up. Okay, action. Cool. I okay, am cool. a walker, not a talker. Okay, okay. I see a lot of good looking photos of you. I just don't see a lot of good looking photos of you eating or sitting down at the table. Because you go to my website, at Rashawn McDonald. Not my website. But go to Rashawn. If you have time, I'm not, you're busy. Just go to at Rashawn McDonald. <laughs> you're going to see pies. You're going to see food. You're going to get hungry looking at my timeline. I'm just going to tell you. People tell you. better swipe left. Huh? Go to my last post and swipe left to see okay. what I made. Okay, You're cool. going to see all this goodness. And mm-hmm. it's healthy. And it's healthy. Because, <laughs> see, I want to, because, see, like in my, every, on Monday, I do all my recordings for my my podcast, Money Making Conversation. And I bring uh-huh. the fruit. I bring nuts. You know, in a little small jar. I have watermelon. I have grapes. I have bananas with me and all that good stuff. I eat some mm-hmm. cornbread and a little red velvet cupcake already. But, you know, I have mm-hmm. to deal like that. But you said right here, dairy and egg free pancakes and waffles, French toast and donuts, dairy and egg free. Pa- You've made these. You made some good tasting dairy free pancakes, yes. Maya. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know why? Because it's plant based milk. There's almond, coconut, cashew, hemp, and even oat milk. Oat milk is my favorite milk. And so I use that because the dairy industry is, first of all, cruel, but they also put antibiotics, steroids, all in that. And there's plenty of hormones, and it's supposed to grow a baby calf to 500 pounds in one year. And that's why our kids are getting breasts at nine years old and all kinds of other stuff. And it's just a very cool industry when you really understand what really happens behind closed doors. And so I am spiritually a vegan because of what I do know, which most people are not taught, but also the effects that it has on the human body. And there are plant-based alternatives, which are much healthier for you and won't lead to cancer. And for egg substitute, there's all kinds of egg substitute products that are egg-free. You know, wow. eggs have high cholesterol, and that's a big problem in my family and community. And I want to avoid that and break the generational curse, but also that industry is full of cruelty as well. And that's all in my starter guide. I'm not going to say too much about it. Cause it's well, all, all, all I know is that, uh, Maya, <laughs> okay, you, I'm a fan now, okay? I've always been a fan, but I'm not, now you got me in the, the, you know, the side of the table. I'm sitting at the table eating with you now. I'm here. Now, I'm just going to tell you a little backstory, Rashawn. I, I, I have a new office in Atlanta, Georgia. It has a fully built-out kitchen. 
Okay. And the reason I built that fully built out that kitchen was that, you know, I'm a, I'm an award-winning baker. Like I said, you go to average yeah. McDonald's, you'll see your boy can throw down. You talking about putting your foot all in it. I put my foot all in it too. I can't dance <laughs> like you, but I be slugged. I be turning my foot up in there too. Okay. So just to just throw, throw a little smack talk back in your direction about what I can I do. It's not smack food. talk over here. It's oh, real talk. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So, so when we, when we get this calmed down, a little bit when we feel comfortable <laughs> with each other and you yeah. you you may be coming into atlanta acting uh, opportunities or you might be visiting you got to come by my office okay and so <laughs> we can talk about this because you are a walking talking tv show you got the person we're gonna cook we you're gonna a beautiful person and, and we're gonna cook i'm gonna, gonna cook, cook with sean way <laughs> and you might gonna cook her way and we're gonna see what gonna go down how about that how about that is that all right that's fine with me. Cool. I, I won't hold you in long. I, I really, I really appreciate you calling in on my show, Money Making Conversation, Maya. And I'm serious. You're so talented. And you're so wonderful. You and the things that you're doing in life, and we so need what you're talking about from a dietary standpoint. We as African Americans, we as people of color, have to change our, our eating habits. The pandemic has told us this. We've said this. We've always had that running joke in our community that we have to eat better. We've always had running blood that we got the sugars, that you know we obese. We have clogging arteries. All these things. They're not jokes anymore because COVID-19 is proven to be the truth. And I want to thank you because I will support you this week. If the I'll go out on my mailing list this Wednesday. It will go on my social media this week because your brand is a very positive brand and I want to keep supporting this. All right, with you, Maya? I appreciate that. Yes. And I send you my support as well. How can I support you further? Okay, as long as you just stop talking smack, because until I eat something that you eat, I'm gonna just tell you right now, Mike, you are just only just a oh she just she just talks smack. You, I have to eventually eat something or put me in that little sold out class that you did, and I can watch you do your thing. And do me a favor, start putting more food on your social media and all that, because we need to know you got the founder. You you talking about this makes you look good. You're not mad at nobody anymore since you've been a vegan. You don't have depression because you're a vegan. I need to see more food on your site young lady okay <laughs> it's all over my page what okay. are you doing okay, I'm, going, I'm going right now I'm going right now <laughs> bye big time we talk soon I appreciate you alright alright take care thank you bye. cars today are like a computer on wheels but you can't fix any of these new features yourself so when something breaks it could cost you a fortune and now is not the time for expensive repairs that's why you need car shield CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. Call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code MONEY, M-O-N-E-Y, or visit carshield.com and use code MONEY, M-O-N-E-Y, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code MONEY. A deductible may apply. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald.
My next guest is the co-founder and CEO of the Women's National Football Conference, the WNFC. The Women's National Football Conference is a groundbreaking organization that exists to create and foster an environment for female athletes to sustain healthy lifestyles through playing, coaching, and participate in American football at the highest level. Again, at the highest level. The WNFC has over 1,000 athletes and coaches across 17 states, which makes up 20 teams with thousands of fans. We're going to turn that into millions. The WNFC was started in 2019 in order to bring the sport of women's tackle, tackle football, not touch, not fluff, not football to the masses. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the co-founder and CEO of Women's National Football Conference, Odessa, Odessa Jenkins. <laughs> Yes, sir. Let's go. <laughs> Good morning. Odessa, Afternoon, wherever you're at. Hey, first of all, the name. Let's talk. Let's talk about your name first, Odessa, because I know, I know you got a beautiful name, Odessa Jenkins. Wherever you, it sounds like your uncle calling you, your your daddy calling. Odessa, Odessa, get back in this house, girl. Where did you get the name Odessa Jenkins from? You know, that's my grandmama's name. You your know, grandmother's so, uh, name mm-hmm. from the south. Yes, I am. I am I am actually born and raised in Los Angeles, California, mm-hmm. but I'm born to uh, a, a Southern queen and a Southern king. My <laughs> mother and father are both from uh, my dad from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And my mom's from Little Rock. So oh, yeah. oh, yeah. uh, I have oh, yeah. a Southern woman's name. Mm-hmm. My actual my full name is Odessa Londale Jenkins. So I'm named after both my paternal and fraternal grandmothers. They had big plans for Odessa. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's beautiful. So, so give us a little back. I know you're 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 a former athlete, and yeah. um and so, but you know, athletes get a bum rap sometimes because they just they just people just recognize them for their talent, their physical talent, and we all know that's as a a short window, a short window. So you have to plan yeah. of, of what the, the realistic path is for long term financial success. And being that you're a female, sometimes the options are even more limited to try to pursue your dreams. Talk about the athletic side of your life, going through high school into college. Sure. Um, so as I said, I grew up in South Central LA. Sports have always been a tremendous part. When you of say South Central LA, I lived in LA 15 years. Where are you, what do you, what's high school and what do you call in South Central LA? Just for my listeners. So I grew up on 99th and San Pedro, uh, my family, that was where I was pretty much raised, but mm-hmm. um, my childhood was in Watts. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in the, the Jordan Downs. I lived in the Nickerson Project. Wow. I know exactly um, where you were. So, uh, my home church, which is still a home church today, uh, is on 107th and Cal Maya, right in South Central LA. So, the, when I say South Central, that's where I mean. Mm-hmm. Actually, I my mom... Uh, worked outside of LA in, in, in Bellflower. So I actually bussed to school with my mom. So after, uh, elementary school, when I went to 99th Street Elementary, shout out to 99th Street Elementary, my mom bussed me to school. So I rode a bus and a train to school from the seventh grade until I graduated high school. So I never went back to LA Unified after, um, my uh, elementary school time. Right. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Now, how did athletics start to become a part of your life? You know, it was it was it was it was huge for us because um, growing up in the city, there was a lot of my family was, um, you know, no shame in my game. My family was into a lot of, uh, you know, 
the, the drug trade and a, and a lot of violence. And there were a lot of things, a lot of great people in my family, but there was just a lot of stuff around us. And sports was the one thing that kind of kept us away. So I started becoming known around town as the girl with the ball, whether it was a basketball or football or volleyball or whatever. I just, I just always wanted to do something different. Um, it was, it was just in, inside of me to, to, to want to compete. I was a competitor. And so I picked up a football. My first sport was football. All the boys and cousins in my family, they allowed me to play. As long as you can ball, that's what they always told me. As long as you can ball now, I will let you play. So I started playing, and I played football up until the eighth grade. And a coach at the time told me, like, hey, yo, you're going to um, – if you want to go to college, and I know you do, um, and you want to get your college paid for through athletics, you need to play a girls' sport. Um, and you need to pick up basketball or something else. And it broke my heart uh, because I was a pretty decent football player. And I'm small. I'm, I'm what like position were you four. playing? And what kind of speed were you riding? See, see, I don't like people I was be bragging. Back see, the whole time. I, I don't no, like people I'm, be I'm, bragging I'm about woman. their pretty, no. pretty, pretty decent football player. You know, what was, what was pretty decent though? I'm a, oh, I'm a pretty fat woman. Up until the eighth grade, I was probably still averaging um, a couple TDs a game, probably one a buck fifteen with mm-hmm. the boys. So I was putting up a hundred yards a game, really, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. up until the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never, I, I was never interested in playing against boys. So yeah. I, I that I, I know a lot of people grow. I was I always wanted to play against other girls. Um, Because obviously, once you get to the eighth grade, the boys start getting bigger and stronger and faster. And it's like, ooh, meaner And meaner. And meaner, right? (laughs) And meaner. And so I always wanted to play against the girls, but there was just no opportunity. Girls football didn't exist. There was nobody um, that was making that available. So I went on to high school, played some basketball, uh, won a couple um, district championships down in L.A., um, got the LA Times Player of the Year, started to get recruited, and I ended up going B1 to a, a school, a small B1 school called Cal Poly up in San Luis Obispo, California. No, exactly what um, that. Yep, start balling. At the time I went there, we hadn't won anything yet, and ended up ended up turning Cal Poly into a pretty good program, a pretty good winner out there in the Big West. Won a one Player of the Year a couple of years, and had a pretty decent college career. So I was. Um, you know, successful. But as soon as I graduated from college, I went to go find football again. So um, it's always been the thing that I love. I love to compete. And I know you probably talk to a lot of athletes and entrepreneurs, but football is unique. You got to have a different level of, of team and compete to want to do this uh, for a long time. So. Wait, let me tell you something about football. A sport I could never play, by the way. Because, <laughs> see, I can't, see, I can't look at somebody who's going to run at me as fast as I'm running towards them and not veer mm-hmm. left or right. But they just want to stay Amen. dead on. See, that's a different mentality for me because, it's, you know. It's and, a truth teller is what that, I like to call it. Well, I'm, I'm just telling you, boy, a coward, okay? I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to get on the football field and knowing <laughs> that fool coming at me is going to hurt me. He won't hurt me and get he paid. To, yeah. He get paid. Yeah. Uh, a half a billion, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, 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 but, but before we get into league, you know, we, we're right in the midst of a COVID-19, the pandemic is affecting all sports. We saw ESPN basically get shut down, basically, because they had no sports to cover. Fox, Fox Sports 1 as well had no sports sure. to cover. So how has it impacted? And give me a, give me a feel for what, what, when does the league start? Or what's that window for what the league is? Yeah, so the league, we, we play in the spring. 
right? Mm-hmm. We planned the spring. The whole concept was to try and not compete with the, the major men's sports, mm-hmm. right? Um, so give the men their, their, their platform that they've earned over the last hundred years and create something for when the NFL fan or the, frankly, the NBA fan, the MLB fan, whatever sport they're playing is looking for that next competitive thing. Sort of the same concept that the XFL and the AFL had. Um, but we play April to July. So frankly, uh, this last weekend would have been our championship weekend. Uh, we've been going into our championship. We canceled our season in February knowing um, or anticipating what COVID would do to the world um, and knowing that we don't own facilities, right? We coordinate with high schools and colleges mm-hmm. for our fields and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and knowing that it would hit us hard. So frankly, it, it hit us just as hard as it did everybody else. But one thing that it did do is it helped the world of sports carriers and content providers realize that there's different content out here in sports, a.k.a. women's football has some pretty exciting content to provide um, if you point your camera at it. So in in a lot of cases, people said this has been detrimental to their business. In my case, I see it as a come up as an opportunity, right? Um, as an opportunity for us to bring our business to the masses and our sports to the masses, so this has been a win. I don't look at anything as a loss. I look at it all as an opportunity. And this is a major opportunity for us to put the content of women's football in front of some folks who wouldn't have normally looked. Well, you know, I, I've tell everybody that, uh, you know, I, this whole year, my brand money making conversation, I, I used the pandemic period uh, to catch up. I thought from a standpoint, I caught a lot of my competition. Because mm-hmm. of the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, they, when, you, when you launch a brand, you, you kind of behind everybody else. And so exactly. if the brand is stalled and you still have a plan to market and brand and promote and get you and, and get in front of people, then guess what? People will take notice because guess what? Everybody else is stalled and their mind is very curious right now as to what else exactly. I can do to to entertain my brain because there's so much available time for me to be. Able. That's why Netflix blew up, you know, because yeah. Everybody was sitting at the house. Everybody found Netflix. Netflix stock is like almost $500 because of the fact that people are trying to find information. That's why people are watching Korean baseball on ESPN. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find mm-hmm. information. So like NASCAR ratings are up because of the fact that people are finding information. How are you keeping your brand in the forefront or in front of our eyeballs? Yeah, there's a couple things. So one, I think we went in, we, we did one of the smartest things that we could ever do, and that's invest in some real PR, branding, marketing, and content strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, we went and uh, we we went and signed up on this with this organization called iFund Women, which is an amazing organization that helps bring women and startups get funding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so through them, we were able to be awarded a grant for helping the world to reimagine sports. So Adidas um, pumped some resources and some funding into us. And with that, we went in hired professional PR, which a lot of women in sports don't have. Um, we have focused on our head of branding and marketing to put more content out on social. Um, we be, we're beefing up our website and our web presence and making content available to our users to go spread out. So that's the, those are the two biggest things that we're doing, beautifying our content, so making it more readily available, mm-hmm. prettier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also investing in others that can go tell our story. But you bring up a great point of being able to catch up because those are things that we would frankly never do um, were it not for 
COVID-19. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, when you're dealing with marketing, it's all it's all a competition. And so and yeah. also the bigger level of competition is like everybody has, a you know, McDonald's. They have hamburgers. Burger King has hamburgers. Five Guys has hamburgers. And, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken has chicken. Popeye's has chicken. Chick-fil-A has chicken. And so when those brands are out there ahead of you, then you have to figure mm-hmm. out how do I separate and clearly define who I am. And so that's why I brought that up, because of the fact that COVID-19, you can't see it as a disaster. Yes, it's a setback because we all want to be playing. We all want to be feeling the stands. We all want our brand moving yep. forward. But more importantly, now you're dealing with the details, Odessa, you know, about Correct. being very meticulous about what exactly the messaging you're trying to tell. What are you talking to you when you when you when I when I talk like that, what are you telling your team, your marketing team? What is the over the, the, the mandate right now? Yeah, the mandate is alignment, right? Mm-hmm. That we are an organization that has a mix of people. Right. And content that's about a purpose that everybody's kind of clamoring for. Um, 60% of the women in our league are of color. Mm-hmm. We have the story of adversity and triumph in everything we do because women's tackle football players don't get paid to play. So there's the story of tri- triumph and adversity that we tell. tell. We are women. Women are the fastest growing sports consumer on the planet. Mm-hmm. Tackle football will eventually surpass um, soccer as the number one uh, sport on the planet. So the the mandate is to go find brands, go find people that want to tell this story that don't know we exist and align with them. Get sticky with them. Let them know that there are certain pieces of glue, whether it be Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion, whether it be LBTQ communities, whether it be how to speak, represent and inspire women. We have all of that in one organization that's packaged and ready to go. So that's the story we've been telling our branding and our PR teams. And frankly, we're a powerful organization. It's like, a group of women that are playing women's tackle football are unique to the world. It's a sport that so many people said we couldn't do. Cool. So that's our story. Cool. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Cars today are like a computer on wheels, but you can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a cover repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and car shield takes care of the rest they also offer complimentary 24 7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed car shield is america's number one auto protection company for as low as 99 a month you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code money m-o-n-e-y or visit carshield.com and use code money M-O-N-E-Y, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code money. A deductible may apply. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversation. I'm talking to the co-founder and CEO of the Women's National Football Conference, the WNFC. It's a brand that uh, is new. Uh, the COVID-19, like with all sporting events, slowed the progress. But using her head and her team and getting the marketing machine together, it allows it is allowing her 
to get into the forefront or the in the faces of people who are interested in a new version of what sporting entertainment can be brought to the table. And that is the WNFC. So right now, what does the 2021 season prepping look like? Yes. So it's an exciting time. We're actually looking at what expansion looks like by trying to be smart and not move too fast, but looking at other cities, there are a lot of other cities who want um, a team, a WNFC team because of what we represent. That's step one, just evaluating and, and doing a market research on what are the right cities for us to bring a team to because there's might be existing teams out there already and there might be new markets that we need to expand to. So that's, that's step one. Um, step two is uh, bringing on investors, right? We're working on our investment strategy, who are the kind of people that we want to invest in the business. And step three is our TV deal. So how do we bring um, OTT to a content from an over-the-air standpoint and a content from an over-the-internet standpoint? So working with which partners we want to partner with um, to bring our content to TV. We have a huge production investment going in for 2021. We're going to have 10 games that are going to be professionally produced and trying to find the right medium to put those 10 games on. And then last, but definitely not least, is partnerships and sponsors. Uh, We are lucky enough right now to have an awesome sponsor in Adidas and another awesome sponsor in Red L Sports. We were the first uh, women's tackle football league to be sponsored by either of those global companies. And we're just looking for the next Riddell, the next Adidas to help take us to the next level. Cool. Okay, the word tackle football. Okay, let's talk about that right quick. Because, you know, I know where I can get me some basketball players. I know if I had started a baseball league, I could just bring some softball players from college. Okay, they can probably ball a little bit smaller, but they can play professional baseball if I wanted to. Where do I get my tackling women? Where do I get my women if I want to start a professional women's football league? from everywhere but frankly do you ever want to say um, when i say that are you holding like tryouts yeah, no, tryouts i got you it's it's a it's a it's a it's one of those if you build it they will come more women than you would ever know want to play football so what we what we do is every team every team in every city right. builds a try has a tryout so we have like a national tryout day in the wnfc um so every year on the same day or around the same month and this is going to be in november for this year all of our teams are going to start marketing tryouts mm-hmm. um so we do it on social we do it locally we do it at gyms we do th- we go to high schools we go to local universities um i'm sure you've heard of now uh women's flag football is technically a varsity sport for mm-hmm. the first time in the history of the world. So we're working with those schools and NAI and the NAIA to develop that. We're also working with the boys and girls club to develop a mechanism for building a pipeline that way. But really we just put it out there and women show up from everywhere. Um, we have former w- WNBA players in our league, former women's professional soccer players, softball, everywhere. But the way that it works is we generally have a call out for tryouts, mm-hmm. um, a private, some private and some public. Uh, we usually do some sort of recruiting mechanism. So every team has a recruiting function where they're working locally to see who are the pro and semi-pro at- female athletes in their city. So between that league-wide tryout day and the private and public um, city recruiting mechanisms, that's how we get our women. And those trials are usually held at universities or our local high schools. Okay, listen, I'm at your website right now. Fantastic website, yep. by the way, wnfcfootball.com. 
amazing website. Now let's 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 talk about the branding and marketing because you know when women try to do something athletic in the field of football, we've had a lot of I want to I won't use the word sexist, but very you know scantily clad football game, the puff football game, the flag. It all led to skippy clothes and and um, non tackling sports. Now is that is that is that a competition that you have to that a branding that you have to avoid or deal with that's maybe trampling into your approach of creating a real football league where women really do tackle, where women really do play? It absolutely is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a part of the, it's a part of the world, right? Selling sex, particularly sexualizing women and frankly, sexualizing women. Because on your website, you say real women, real football, real Real football. Correct. And so that is a part. When you say women's football to most people, they they think of lingerie, right? Right. Because Mm -hmm. it was, it, it, it was on TV, it had sponsors, it had those things. But women have been playing 11-on-11 uh, tackle football for 70 years. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it hasn't broken out, like in 16 months we have done in the WNFC what no other leagues have done, and that's have the ability to get funding and, and do sponsorships. But it's absolutely in the way. We have today, we have uh, other leagues that are selling other things other than the sport and marketing the sport and marketing in different ways. Now, let me tell you, I'm not a fool to it. Like, I believe in the beauty of women. Right. And I believe in selling what is all, all parts of a woman. Um, but I don't believe that my product at all has to be um, a sexualized product in order for people to take it seriously. And that's the difference between me and some others. So, yeah, it's something I got to fight against, but I'm a fighter. I told you where I was from early at the Absolutely. beginning of Nickerson the thing. Gardens? Come if on I, now. Nickerson yeah. Gardens. I know exactly <laughs> where she's from. We're better. We're more Jordan down than Nickerson Gardens. But if, now, we, if we had, yeah, if we had somebody, we have that in front of us, but we're going to overcome it just like absolutely. everybody else has to overcome yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, this is money-making conversation. We talk about the, 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 the entrepreneurial side. We talk about the marketing side, the branding side. And you have to know your competition in order to beat your competition. Because that's what we're in. We're in the, we're in the winning game in this interview. And when I'm looking Amen. at the teams, you have the Pacific Conference, you have the Atlantic Conference. Now, I know I'm from Houston, Texas, and I know Texas is big. Now, you got two teams, the Houston yeah. Heat and the Texas Elite Spartans. Now, I'm assuming the Houston Heat is in Houston, Texas. Where is the Texas Correct. Elite Spartans located? Where are they located at? They are located in Dallas. Okay, so it's another rival between Big D and H-Town. Yes. Yeah. I like that. 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 Yeah, the Texas Spartans. I actually, um, I I own that team. And oh, they're here in Dallas. I'm talking to Jerry yeah. Jones. I'm talking to Jerry yeah, Jones. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You are. Um, we the the Texas Spartans are the defending champion of the WNFC. Oh, how convenient! Are... Oh, how convenient! <laughs> the founder. Well, look. <laughs> yes. And yes. her team and that she owns wins. Oh, how convenient! Cold. It's cold. Um, but yeah, that team, that team is a, is a gym in women's football. That team is, um, hasn't lost a game, has beat every top team in the country and is, 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 is they set the, they set the trend in, in women's tackle football. So yeah, pretty good team. But that's a good team. Uh, the WMC guess, now. Are you scaring those players up there? Come the owner, you know, y'all better get back in shape, you know. <laughs> You know, she's from Nickerson well, Gardens. Well, they all know that I'm gone. They you know, she's from Nickerson Gardens. She's going to hurt y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Congratulations. Like I, Congratulations. 
And so, Thank and so, you. I lean with love. I lean with love. Oh, you leave. Oh, yeah. You you lead with a little love, and it might talk a little hurt. But you go, you go, you go get your point across. I'm telling you that right now. Hey man, you better let them know. Absolutely. You know? So when when sponsors come into your brand, what are they expecting? Yeah. Because you you know we all know that you need financial support. No business, no you know, you know no no league can exist. Even the NFL, they don't have financial support. They uh, won't last. Correct. So what does the sponsor expect from you when they sponsor your brand? And the yeah, players they as usually, well. Mm-hmm. They, they usually expect us to amplify a story or amplify a cause or a message the same way that they do with other leagues, right? It's like, um, we want you to put our brand in front of women. We want you to put our brand in front of a certain audience right. that either we're not in front of today or that we want to continue to be in front of. So usually our pitch is that we are women in sport, we are women in fitness, and we are diverse. We are women of color, and we are women of LGBTQ backgrounds in a lot of cases, but we're mothers, we're sisters, we're consumers. So the thing that brands really love about us is that we can be flexible, right? There's a lot of us. We're in, um, you know, 17 cities. We're national. That's always good. And then Usually what's unique about a football team that isn't that you don't find in a lot of other women's sports is that football players cannot look the same if your team wants to be successful. Right. So if every football, if every football player was five foot seven, 150 pounds, your team's going to get their tail whooped. This is true. Right? This is true. <laughs> you need, Where is you, the beef, need, as they say? Where is exactly, the beef? <laughs> exactly. So our sport is super, super unique in that women have to be from completely different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, socioeconomically, they have to look different. There's some women that are big. There's some women that are small. So real, we really do in one sport have the total eclectic story of all women that we can tell. We can tell a story of big women, little women, short women, dark women, light women. And so it's a really unique place that our sponsors find as a gold mine when it comes to content. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, the reason I was teasing you earlier about the, being the owner and undefeated and uh, the champion, uh, you came through the Bill Walsh NFL Diversity Coaching Fellowship Program. Correct. And you also were an intern coach with the Atlanta Falcons. So so you've yeah. you, you've been, uh, as they say, coached up in the professional men's sports. How did that help you? And, you know, with the with the women's National Football League? It was huge. Um, you know, I actually was with the Falcons right before I started up that started to um, source a partner and mm-hmm. investment for the WNFC. Mm-hmm. So being, um, you know, Scott Pioli. Um, who was the general manager at the time of the Atlanta Falcons mm-hmm. was a, is a, is a mentor of mine and is a huge influence of mine. Um, and coach Quinn and all of those um, guys in the Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they are, they are um, exceptional men, but also exceptional leaders and businessmen. And so I really learned a lot from being in the room um, and being in that organization about how to organize the sports business, what kind of people you need to put around the business. Because mm-hmm. um, whether it was from coaches like Raheem Morris sitting down with me and teaching me the game, or whether it was from, bad boy, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he, that's a bad man. Mm-hmm. Um, but the players, the players had a great deal of respect for me. Um, Devontae Freeman, all those guys. And they, they actually set me down and started talking to me and I talked to them about the business of the sport. So it was a huge influencer to me. Um, now, my passion is women in sports. 
mm-hmm. um, but they they were all able to give me some some great building blocks on what I should do when I built out the WNFC. And the best advice that they gave me was not make pro- don't make promises that you can't keep and build it from the base. So build a good base in your business. Well, uh, you're fantastic. I'm talking to the co-founder and uh, co-owner and coach of a team. She's managed by all-female leadership brain trust over there at the WNFC. It features 20 teams playing a 10-week spring session, you know, broadcast on national television. Her team, she's the owner. She's like the Jerry Jones because her team's based in Dallas. That's what I'm talking to. The, the black <laughs> female Jerry Jones right now. I want to thank you for coming on my show. You're fantastic. I love your energy, you know, your ability to be able to pivot and understand that, uh, you know, COVID-19 is not going to, my disappointment is not going to destroy me. And uh, much success. I mean, when you when you, when you you get the league back up and running, please come back up if you want to bring a player on Absolutely. with you. I want to support you 100%. I got almost a million social media followers. 88% of my followers are female, by the way. I want to let you know wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and 88% go. now. And so that's why I wanted to bring you on the show. Now, you you coming to the right man. Okay. I got the ladies. I got the ladies. Okay. <laughs> well, everybody's got the ladies. That's what they need to realize. <laughs> well, Odessa L. Jenkins, I want to thank you for coming on my show, okay? Thank you so much for having me, and I'm honored that you tell a story. And for all the women out there, go do what you do. I hope that this uh, message of a woman, a black woman in football, is helping you realize and inspire you to go do something that somebody said you couldn't. Go get it. Go get it, girl. All righty. I'll talk to you later. And be in touch with me, okay? And send some banners. Anything you want me to promote, I'll support you on my social media, okay? I sure will. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. This report is brought to you by Northwestern Medicine. Organ donations save lives, and some organs can even be donated by a living donor. August is National Minority Donor Awareness Month, so let's check in with Dr. Danae Simpson, Assistant Professor of Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. Tell us about the African American Transplant Access Program. So this is my baby. This is a program that I have dreamt about creating since I became interested in transplant as a trainee. And it's a program designed to address the significant disparities that our African American patients face. The program is designed to educate patients about transplant, let them know what transplant can provide to them, and to help them access the resources that they find so scarce and so challenging to access in order to get them on the transplant path and back to, you know, some type of meaningful life. For more information, visit nm.org radio. My next guest is an independent filmmaker. He's a graduate of the uh, Texas A&M University and, had, and has produced over 30 featured films and several have been featured at Sundance. Also, his movies have been distributed by Sony, Lionsgate, Warner Brothers and Netflix, just to name a few. He's won the Independent Spirit Award and has been inducted into Texas Filmmakers Hall of Fame. He is on the show today to discuss his career and the second season of Fifth Ward. New episodes of Fifth Ward stream every Thursday through September 3rd on UMC.TV. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Greg Carter. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, my brother, Rishon. I'm so excited to be on the show. I got such a great introduction. I said, I got to live up to that introduction now. (laughs) Hey, hey, Greg, you know, because we're both from Houston, Texas, and uh, you're doing a show. 
about I, 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 I was born in the Fifth Ward. I lived there the first 10 years of my life. Russell mm. and, uh, uh, and 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 and. 3815 Bain Street is the, is the home mm. that I lived in. It was a two-bedroom shotgun house. And um, I had six sisters, two brothers. My father was a truck driver. My mama was my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And so uh the, the whole concept of doing a show called Fifth War really really just touched home with me emotionally because I know that that was those first 10 years were a very important part of my life. And Fifth Ward is a community it's like any neighborhood is an urban based uh, inner city neighborhood that's in Houston, Texas, just to give everybody who's listening the exact uh, location of where this particular community is. And and it's one of the prominent uh, black communities in Houston, Texas. But you but this initially started out as a movie, correct? This series. That is correct. That is correct. So years ago, I'm also from the neighborhood Fifth Ward. My uh, my family uh, had home church is on the corner of uh, Lyon, uh, and uh, uh, and also my family. I still have family still living over there, and mm-hmm. so it was one of the things that was important to me when I started out. I was trying to tell a story about the neighborhood based on uh, the people I knew, and so back in 1998, I'm dating myself. I did the first, uh, I did the first, uh, uh, uh movie mm-hmm. and it, it had a lot of success. It went to South by Southwest and a lot of film festivals. And then after that, I ended up, uh, putting it, writing a treatment for a TV show and I put it on the shelf and it was there. It sat on the shelf for probably about 20 years. And then later I got approached by, uh, uh, Angela Northington, who was the head of content over at, uh, UMC at the time. Also, uh, Sylvia George, who's the general manager of the network right. about the show. And I said, Hey, I got this thing. I can dust it off, see what happens. <laughs> and, uh, when everybody got it, they truly enjoyed it. And that was the beginning of season one. And we had a successful season one. So then we came back for two. Now, when you do a show that has an emotion tied to it, because like I said, you grew up there, I grew up in there in that environment. Tell us about season one. I know there was a there was a character change for a major character change for season two. Mm. And tell us about that. And uh, and also just putting together a show we know is shot. Some of the scenes are, 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 they, are they shot within the community itself or all of them on set? No, all of, all of the show is primarily shot in, uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, and, and, and the majority of those shots in Houston, Texas are in Fifth Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to have an authenticity, uh, for the show to make sure that, you know, I was quote unquote keeping it real. Uh, but then the other thing, <laughs> but, but yeah, we did have a couple of changes. Uh, our lead actor, uh, who played the role of Ray Ray, uh, uh, he he got cast into another TV show, and then uh, we had another character who played the role of Robert Kennedy, who was a police commander. He had scheduled shooting, uh, uh, scheduled conflicts, and he had to. And we and of course, when you're shooting on a time frame and a schedule, uh, you just have to kind of go into it and get it done. So uh, you know, you get into the situation where uh, you make the decisions that you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, and then sacrifice what you can and you keep pressing forward. <laughs> right. And, th- and that, like I said, that's nothing negative. I'm just telling people about the, the business. You know, like I said, when you yep. cast change happening and you have to move forward and, and recast with the best person that's available to do that role. And you have a very talented guy. So very talented people that you brought on for the second season. And that's why I wanted to let yeah, everybody yeah. know there are changes. And so if you're fans of the show and you watch the premiere episode, because to my understanding, an episode is already aired. And I'm supposed Supposed to be in that episode, right, sir? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> uh, so, so when you watch the show, if you haven't watched the show, what you'll find is it's not just a narrative where it's characters who say dialogue. Uh, for me, it was important that the show itself uh, was not just my story, but the story of other voices that also know and love Fifth Ward. So. Uh, at the beginning and the end of each episode, we have a, uh, a small interview with someone from the neighborhood who gives their experience uh, about what made or what makes Fifth Ward special. Mm-hmm. And so we, we try to make sure that uh, that is uh, something that, that I, well, of course, I want to keep it engaged with the audience, but also let the audience know that there's more than just Greg Carter telling this story about right. Fifth Ward, the neighborhood that we love. There's other people too that that are engaged in this story. And wow, you know, I, I you know we were. I was all. I, I flew into town. I remember Greg called me, Rashawn. I'd like you to take this, and uh, it it was more of a an opportunity to uh, be a part of something special because I consider you doing a project about a, a, a very important community within a black community within Houston, Texas, a community that I was, that I was born in, a community that I pride myself. I, I tell people I'm from Fifth Ward all the time. But then we see that Fifth Ward that you and I were born in is changing. And um, and uh, as they say, uh, the, the, the streets have gotten wider and white people are moving in. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. <laughs> Not just for Fifth Ward, but it's also true for a lot of communities uh, in the uh, it, it, throughout the United States. Yes. And what happens is is that you have these depressed home values, which means these areas are ripe for uh, gentrification. And what gentrification is, if people don't know, it's a process of where you're slowly uh, uh, moving. I guess in the simplest way, moving the original residents out mm-hmm. and culturally and sometimes uh, 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 racially changing the, the way the neighborhood is. Uh, and so, you know, for me, if you look at what's happening in Los Angeles, where uh, they're building build a brand new football stadium in the middle of the hood, or if you go into Inglewood, New York City. Right there in Inglewood, right there. Inglewood, Inglewood, mm-hmm. Inglewood that is correct. Mm-hmm. It's happening in Inglewood right now. Uh, those of you who are listening. Hey, Greg, in New let me York, just let me just even expand it. They're not only building a stadium; they built a the the train system to go right up to it. So that's correct. You, you know, they they really vision and they tore up all of Crenshaw to put this train line in, this metro line that's in. Correct. And so that just you know, when they want to make a change, they can make a significant change. And uh, when you do it, uh, a change like that, it affected the black businesses that were along Crenshaw along the way. And so that's what that's a lot right. of people understand. Say so you, it's for the good, but also who are you hurting to create this quote unquote good? And so that's what we're dealing with in Fifth Ward is that. You know, there are people who are being moved out, but where are they being moved out to? Because they can't afford to pay the taxes because that's why they 
do it because you you, right. you you're bringing these uh these better property values. Guess what? Taxes go up. Now the person across the street. They can't pay that new tax. So they, guess what? They are either forced into a homeless situation or they have to move out a neighborhood that and that's all the neighborhood they know. And that's the tragic part about yeah. that process, isn't it? Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's happening in Seattle. Uh, it's happening. Uh, it, like I was about to say, people who live in New York, they just built a new basketball arena in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That neighborhood is changing. So, so these it's happening nationwide. And in the last five to 10 years, it's happening at an increasing pace. And so we have to fight for our neighborhoods and so that we can have and keep the cultural representation that made the neighborhood great. Because when the people come into, new people come into the community, we're fine with that. That's okay. No worries there. But, but we want, we want the respect mm-hmm. of the, of the, of the neighborhood to be there. We want the culture of the neighborhood to stay. You know, we want all that to happen. Wow. Now let's talk about this. Yeah. Theory. Let's get back to this. Theory. I don't want to get so social to forget that I brought you on this <laughs> show because you and I can get to talking because we, because you're a Texas A&M grad. I'm a University of Houston grad. So, you know, we've, yeah, we've gotten our degrees. Yeah. We, you know, we have intelligence behind, not saying that other people don't have intelligence, but we both from Fifth Ward. And so we have a passion when we start talking about this, but this series, some yeah. of your main characters, Maya and, and my boy, Carl Anthony Payne and Omar Gooding and Jaylene Mack. Uh, talk about putting a cast together like this. And if you don't know Maya, the former singer, still, I shouldn't say former, the singer Maya is one of the lead characters in this particular Probably Gary Sturgis, bringing all that casting together. My man Carl Anthony, who I love to death, and Omar Gooding. I, I used to work with him on Smart Guy back in the day on WB. And so I know who you're working with. And Jaylene Mack, she's a she's one of the most famous attorney slash actresses in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jaylene, look, let me tell you something. Sometimes I marvel at how much Jaylene Mack does in a day. I'm mm-hmm. like, Jaylene, you do more in a day sometimes than some people do in a whole month. So I don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the cast, uh, you know, I'm the son of a, of a Methodist minister, and I feel like I was really blessed to have a cast such as Maya and Gary, Carl Anthony Payne, Omar, Reginald T. Dorsey, uh, uh, Jaylene, all those people. And, and there's so many terrific, talented people who are from the Houston area, a local actors that come in. And what I think it really was, was that uh, when people had an opportunity to read the script, uh, the first draft of the uh, season one, uh, episode one script, uh, people were just drawn to the characters because, you know, we don't really have a lot of stories that are urban, that are told from the perspective of, you know, residents in the neighborhood more. I think somehow or another we came to the conclusion that that was passe. We wanted to be this, that, and the other. But we cannot forget our our forgotten uh, poor and our forgotten uh, underclasses that are with us. You know, I consider myself, and just as you, someone who picked ourselves from the up from the bootstrap. But there are we still have those neighborhoods there, and it's important for us as individuals to make sure that we give the, give and inspire hope so that those people can thrive and do well. And so, you know, the characters are written from a perspective that they have a huge sense of hope and faith in them. And so uh, even 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 when uh, Carl Anthony Payne is playing the bad guy, he still has that in his character of where he is trying to do things 
for the betterment, but he has his own way of doing it. Right. And so I think that's what I always wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that uh, we connected with, uh, with the understanding that, you know, when things are not the best way that they can be, you know, you, you can survive and you can make it, but also show how people maneuver and, and weave through, through life, maybe the way that, uh, you didn't do it, but maybe your grandparents did it or your mother and father did it. And because people are still doing that today. And I think it's important to, to bring a spotlight to that journey. I'm talking to Greg Carter, uh, director, creator, executive producer, you know, everything he edits, he does it all. That's what you do when you when you when you're learning. <laughs> the reason the reason I'm saying that because I got to go back on us. But also, if you want to catch this series, Fifth War, it's on UMC.TV. It's a it's a it's a streaming service, and anywhere you find Netflix or Hulu, you can find UMC.TV, and just go to the site and find the Fifth War. It's a, it's a fantastic series. It's in its second season. But let's go back on our journey, all the way back to when I opened a comedy club, hip hop comedy stop, and you <laughs> you was you know all I heard was. Greg Carter, you got to get with Greg Carter because you was doing all the music. You were doing all the music videos in the city of Houston at the time. That's where you cut your teeth, and I and we met a couple of times, but you know, uh, but we didn't meet enough because I was still trying to build my brand, and then I eventually right. moved back to LA right. and started writing on sitcoms. But really, it's always a journey, and you got to start somewhere. And it started with yeah. you those early years when rap took off, when the ghetto boys were just right. just put up put a face on the city of Houston music scene and you was right at the heart of it, Greg. <laughs> it was funny because, uh, so when I went to college, uh, I, I was studying engineering. Right. And I had the, uh, the chance to study, uh, I had to take a couple of electives and, uh, and I studied uh, screenplay writing. And it was just so happened that there was a gentleman by the name of Charles Godon who was a guest lecturer at Texas A&M. And once I had my first taste of, of writing and directing, I was sold. I was like, yeah, this engineering degree is not going to be no good because I know what I want to do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then I took it from there and uh, I went to uh, Rice University and I started taking an uh, MFA program and started studying. And so I knew when I came out, that's what I wanted to do. And it was going to be a situation where okay, I can either pack up or go to, um, you know, to Los Angeles or New York, or either I can try to do something. So I decided to uh, write my first script and then hire myself to produce and direct it. And that was the acorn, the genesis of how things started. And I always tried to look at, uh, you know, uh, everybody's journey being unique and different, including my own. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't long for, okay, I got to go, I got to go, I got to get out of here. I just, because I, at the time I was married and I, I, I was starting off with uh, two kids mm-hmm. and I was just like, well, you know what? I can, I can be a dad and do both. Uh, that proved to be a little difficult, but you know, I still, uh, I still know that, you know, with perseverance, uh, you can find success. And so I, I, I always thought that, you know, once I got into the situation of actually trying to make, uh, uh, content and, and, and drive the, you know, we call it content now, but it used to be, you just, I'm shooting the movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I do that. I, I always had a vision though, know, when I started off doing the music videos and everything else that the, that the big prize was doing movies and TV. 
And, you know, fortunately for me, I was, I was at a time where it was a much more uh, open opportunity to do it. There was blockbuster videos everywhere, lots of companies making content uh, and fill the shelves there. And so I, I was just in a very unique situation and I feel blessed to do it. And now, you know, it's funny because you look around some, you know, 15 or 20, 25 years later and mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, I'm here. And so uh, part of what I try to do as well is to realize that my journey just ain't all about me. It's about also helping people. So I uh, also teach uh, uh, filmmaking at the University of Houston uh, in the Valente School. And I also do... Uh, also do different uh, uh, work with Jaylene. You mentioned Jaylene Mack. I work with Miss Jaylene Mack. She has a program called Impact. And I mm-hmm. volunteer there mm-hmm. working with kids. So it's an important part of, you know, just making sure that your legacy, like what you do, is, is out there. Wow. He's uh, he's the independent. He's won the Independent Spirit Award. He's been inducted into the Texas Filmmakers Hall of Fame. He's on the show to talk about Fifth Ward, a series that's in his second season. You can reach it on UMC.TV. Uh, whenever in the streaming platforms like Hulu or Netflix, you can find it right there as well. I want Greg, I want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for putting me on your show. And again, I want to help promote and this is just one project. I know when you have future project, we've connected because because, you know, when I when I look at our relationship that we've had started in Houston and we kind of like launched our careers simultaneously. And I was as a comedian and I eventually became a producer, writer, manager of talent. And and you started out as an engineer. My degree was mathematics. So we all started <laughs> in a, a different direction. But creativity overwhelmed us. And now we are content creators. Greg, thank you for coming on my show. Money making conversations. Thank you so much for having me. Great call, great call, man. Great conversation. Cars today are like a computer on wheels, but you can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a cover repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitment. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. Call 1-800-CAR-6000 and mention code MONEY, M-O-N-E-Y, or visit carshield.com and use code MONEY, M-O-N-E-Y, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code MONEY. A deductible may apply. My next guest is the CEO slash president of Light Years Ahead. She has been part of the Light Years Ahead team for over 12 years. She is an expert in implementing solid PR programs for clients and making long lasting impressions with the media. That's important. Light Years Ahead is a boutique national PR agency specializing in lifestyle, personal health, tech, wellness, food beauty, grooming products, services, and personalities. They have an office in Los Angeles, New York, Kansas City, where she is based in Dallas. She is on the show today to talk about uh, what else? The PR industry and how COVID-19 has affected their agency and PR campaigns. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm going to call her my friend because I love her to death. Please welcome Megan Bennett. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Rashawn. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, you're in Kansas City, Kansas. That's barbecue country, correct? 
That is right. We're barbecue central here. We've got Gates. We've got Jack Stack. We've got we've got a lot of barbecue places here, and they're all good. They are all good. I've I've been up there many times. Uh, Steve Harvey was one of my clients. We used to go up there and do comedy concerts. Plus, we had a radio station. We would have to come up there periodically do live broadcasts, and we had to eat barbecue. That was part of the prerequisite. You had to come and you oh, land because yeah. that airport's like fifty miles outside of town. Correct. That airport yeah. is like in another state. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. How did you get in the PR industry, the public relations? Because people seem like it's easy. First of all, because I get a lot of people, they put that on their card, PR, public relations. And, and how did you get started in it? I got started um, when I was in college. I thought I wanted to do something in the entertainment industry. So I went out and I interned in Los Angeles and I just happened upon a public relations firm, which was a celebrity public relations firm. Um, And I found it interesting and I got more internships in PR, but then I realized that what I was really interested in was not celebrities. It was more products, um, more personalities, experts. Um, And after doing a couple internships, when I realized what I didn't want to do, that's how I decided what I did want to do, if that makes any sense. Well, uh, well, because lifestyle, because your your agency is lifestyle, personal health, tech, wellness, food, and beauty grooming products, services, and then personalities. So you're not... The personalities part. You more on the on the product side. Is that, am I right? I mean, we we so when when I first started, we really only did products at my agency, and then as we kept going through the years, we started to talk to experts that had a product where they wanted to be the personality behind the brand. So then we started to promote the founders behind the brand. And then we got into actually working with doctors, experts, meditation specialists, all sorts of different people. So it's, it's not as far as a celebrity goes, but like experts that are qualified in their field, we, we work with them all the time. And it's just so interesting. It's a very interesting category. Well, since you position that let's say the word magical word doctor and we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're pretty busy from a standpoint when I say busy are you is it interviewing and print or just recognizing the talents and letting people know that you're you have a roster of people can help provide information during these these times of crisis well, basically what we do is is we offer, right now during COVID, most of our clients are, I mean, we have an, two experts that are meditation experts and they provide, you know, tips to de-stress during quarantine, um, you know, how to, if, if you're going crazy with your kids, how to stay calm. And then some of the brands that we work with are actually products like a thermometer that's, a, you know, a no-touch forehead thermometer, yes. hand sanitizers, things that can really help during COVID, which, you know, in our case and in our brand's case, is actually advantageous where, you know, I I feel bad because a lot of other brands, this is not a great time, which is totally understandable. Um, But our job is to spin any brand to make it so that people need it even during this time. Well, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to tell you this, Megan, that that thermometer, okay, I have a fan base. I send out a weekly newsletter to 93,000 people. I love to get an image of that thermometer and the link in my newsletter sure. this week because that's, yeah. that's that's because that's what I try to do on this show because 
A lot of the typical shows about celebrityism, you know, big names. My, I, I feel that people like you are the stars. You're the people behind uh, the machine. You know, you can have a pretty car in the showroom, but if the engine is not right, it's not going to drive off that showroom floor. And it's true. And yeah. people like you are the engines. And so when you when you come on my show, you provide information and also opportunities for me to give substantive. Uh, information or products to my fan base. I'm not trying to get a discount, but if that's a product, I've never put that in my newsletter. So I'd love to be yeah. able to put that in my newsletter and we'll get with the staff later on to maybe make that happen. But it's Yeah, they would that, love it. I, they would absolutely I, love it. I would love it because when you're talking, and I was talking to a friend of mine today, I was talking about when COVID first hit, I, 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 like everybody, I believe, was kind of like thrown off. Because mm-hmm. they, they came with all this information and don't wear a mask, wear a mask, you know, uh, you go out in public or uh, make sure you wash your hands for 20 seconds. And so I can remember going to Home Depot one time and I was stumbling. I had my I had my, my gloves. I had my sanitizer. I kind of had a mask. I kind of had I have a had a half ski mask. I hadn't even invested in a real mask yet. I had a ski mask on. And so because it was still cold at that time, it was in March. And so I was uncomfortable. And so when you talk about meditation, that's what you're talking about. People like me who were stressing and not knowing what to do and bringing this burden. Did you bring the illness to the house or you, you know, when you, you know, when you're feeling bad, do you have the illness? All these things can really send you to a state of depression. And that's what you have on your roster. These, These type of people are available to be able to assist people in their time of emotional need. Exactly. And and like one does it through music. He's a composer, meditation expert. He's pretty famous. And he, he does different, you know, silent walks and these like mind travel meditations where you listen and you calm down. Like we recently did one for media that was stressed out because nobody thinks about the media, but the media is just as stressed as everybody else that's working because they have all the pressure on them to perform and, you know, to, to show up and people are getting sick and they want to make sure that they have the right information. So they're like a very stressed out category as well, um, which is interesting. Well, it's all interesting because we just talked about tech, which was the thermometer. We talked about wellness, yeah. which is the uh, which is these individuals who can help you through depression, help you stay calm, help you through these moments of crisis, emotional crisis. And then you yeah. have the food, beauty and grooming products. Uh, uh, do you have something that we can discuss on the show today about well, yeah, the thing with food, beauty, and grooming is is that even though everybody's going through this, people still want to buy stuff, you know? They still want to look good. They still want to do their nails. They still want to, you know, get rid of wrinkles. But they're doing it themselves, though. But they're doing it themselves, though, right? Yes. So okay, everything cool. now that we're promoting is like DIY spa beauty at home, which is great because all of our products are okay. done at home anyways. Okay, and, man, help your boy out. Okay, I got, I, I need some, I, 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 you know, I, I need some help. You know what I'm saying? I, my face, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm trying to trying to stop the process. I'm not gonna go in there and do any plastic surgery. Do you have anything <laughs> can help out this old face of mine, this old male face of mine? Do you have? Any- well, you look great, but yes, 100. <laughs> we work with like a couple different skincare brands. One's called My Shell Dermaceuticals, and they've been around for years. They're at Whole Foods, and it's natural. They have some great anti-aging products. Mm-hmm. Um, we also work with kind of a crazy brand that's called Ballsy. Um, you can look it up. And that's for men, only targeted for men. Mm-hmm. 
Um, And then (laughs) we work for some other brands, too. One's called O Natural Skin Care. It's from Australia. I'm I'm sorry, not Australia. It's from New Zealand. And it's anti-aging. So, So yeah, I mean, all this stuff. In the home park, all all right there. Balding, aging, (laughs) anti-wrinkle. I'm I'm your customer. I'm a customer. I'm going to hook you up. (laughs) You're going to hook me up now. You got a lot of email links you got to send me. You got to send me the balding. When I'm done with you, you're going to look 30 years younger. I'm going to be your poster child. I'm going to be your poster child. You're going to say, you're going to go, look at it. Look at this brother right here. This is before, this is after. This is before the interview. This is after the interview, after you had all our products. Because, because we are in a age of, you know, because I'm, you know, because, you know, we, we don't live like our parents live, you know, because we are not designed to retire. I know my mentality is not set to retire because I have so many things I want to do. And guess what? Retirement money <laughs> won't let me do it. OK, yeah. not the Social Security plan and the Medicare plan won't let me do what my dreams are still left in my head. And so yeah. that means that we are if you're 50, you're thinking like a 40 year old, you're 60, you're thinking like a 50 year old and so on and so on. And so when you talk about these products, the popularity of them are tied to the fact that people still want to get out there. People want to still look good. People in any way they can can, they they can trick the clock. We're going to try to do it in a safe, comfortable way. And that's what you're talking about. These products, correct? Yes. It's just an easy way to do it at home without leaving your house, especially at a time like this when nobody can leave their house. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a tricky question I got to ask you here, Maggie, because it always throws me. Okay. What is the difference between PR and advertising? That is a great question. And I'm telling you, like, most people don't understand it. My dad didn't even understand it until finally we have a national nonprofit foundation. My family does. And once I got them on the Today Show, then he understood because the donations started coming in. So basically, PR, public relations, is different from advertising because when you do an ad, you pay a specific amount for one ad or for a series of ads. So you might pay Mm $3,000 to have one ad in a top magazine that you pay for that's guaranteed. Public relations is where you hire a publicist like me or whoever, and they're going to go out and they're going to pitch your brand to the editors and the media side, not the edit- not the advertising side, but the media, the journalists that actually cover the brands in roundups. And then we get the products into their hands and they write about it with their own opinions in an editorial. And so it's basically, it's authentic. It's not paid. Whereas you might pay us a monthly retainer, right. you know, to do that for a month and get you 10 to 15 PR placements, you might pay the same amount for one paid ad that you know isn't done because the editor likes it. You know, it's done because you've paid for you it. Paid so for that's it. the difference. Yeah. And, and, and so oftentimes like, you don't even know who's listening or watching at exactly. that time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, there's nothing better than than getting an amazing editorial placement. Like if you're, you know, getting something on the Today Show, like I said, with this foundation, then they got over $150,000 of donations from one segment that we didn't pay for. All we had to do was fly the veterans out to New York and it, it... it aired and that was that. You might pay to be on the doctors, you know, a quarter of a million dollars for one paid segment and get nothing from it. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's the value of PR is invaluable and it's a huge bang for your buck. 
Well, you know, I, I first of all, because you hear a lot of terms called marketing, you hear branding. Branding is the hot term nowadays. Mm-hmm. When, when you're branding products, you're branding companies, you're branding individuals. Is is that is that word abused too much, overused too much branding? I mean, in PR, it's not because we have people asking us all the time, if we hire you, What's the return on investment? Are we going to get sales? Are we going to make money for this? And we always say, at least with PR, it is really more about branding. It's building brand awareness. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't drive sales, that's our job is not really to, it, it's great to drive sales, but our job really is to drive brand awareness. So in PR, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's a cat, it's a word that, that we use frequently so that we don't get pigeonholed into becoming like a pay for play agency. Well, you know, it's Which interesting you said because because you said PR PR is not a brand awareness. It's not marketing, though, right? I mean, PR has public relations is a part of marketing, but but our job as publicists is to create brand awareness, which sometimes can drive sales, well, but it, it, it's not guaranteed. Right. It's really interesting because you are in that world because, you know, once the pandemic hit and everybody became, you know, stay at, stay at home, that, that dynamic kind of changed the whole approach because we saw advertisers shut down in the second quarter and First quarter, well, the end of the first quarter and all of second quarter, advertisers, you saw live events start to be canceled because they couldn't happen because of COVID. How did that affect the PR business? I mean, with the PR business, what we did is, is we went out and tried to target entrepreneurs who really didn't have the means to pay for advertising, but could have the budget for PR. So to us, we kind of used it and said, all right, we're going to try to get drum up more business and help these people that normally, you know, wouldn't be able to spend for advertising. Right. Um, so I think it was actually, for us, it, it, it did help because a lot of people really still wanted to continue. They just launched a brand and then COVID hit and they're thinking, well, what am I going to do now? I got to keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we came in. Um, but it's more just us getting our name out there and, you know, making making ourselves known and branding ourselves, which is hard to do when you're busy with a bunch of clients. You Absolutely. know, so it's... Absolutely. I'm talking to Megan Bennett, my fantastic friend from Kansas City. That's uh, barbecue country for those who don't travel that much. Um, she's a CEO, president of Light Years Ahead. That the the Light Years, the Light. That's named after the owner of the uh, the uh, founder. The name. Yes, of- the founder of the company, Betty Light, who is my mentor, and I worked with her for over 18 years, and still working with her. So, so how did you guys connect when you throw out the word mentor? So. I mean, she is my 100% mentor. So when I moved out to Los Angeles after college, I started working at this internet company doing quote-unquote public relations, but it ended up more being like a customer service shipping job. Right. And so after six months, I'm 22 years old, and I'm like, okay, this is not what I want to do. So I started to apply for other jobs, and I, I reached out through UCLA job track and this lady interviews me for a job and it's Betty. And, uh, we just immediately clicked and she called and she hired me and she said, believe me, when you're done, you should be paying me for all the stuff that you're going to learn when you work for me, because it's like going back to college and getting like a huge education in PR. I mean, I was thrown into the wolves right away. And within a month I felt secure and I had really learned so much that I just kept going and I've never stopped. And it's been, I mean, I'm 41 now and it's been the same job I've had and the passion that I've had for, you know, 18 years. And I don't plan to ever stop doing it because I love it so much. 
Well, that's it. You're a great talker. You know, you're, you're a very attractive person. I've seen your your photos on the social media. You can't get away from seeing people. You click a photo, LinkedIn accounts, photo pops up. I know. Yeah. You got to have that. Got to have that photo. Got to have that look down pat nowadays. Why do you love yeah. it so much? You know, because of the fact that I, I enjoy communication. I my degree is in mathematics. I've done stand up. I've managed talent. And as you've managed talent, you're dealing with brands, you're dealing with marketing, you're dealing with crisis management. So there's so many things that you wake up to that can change in an instant. Yeah. Is that what I, you love I, about it? That, that, I love that, that, that I love making people happy. So, like for me, it is a high every day when I get up and I get my client on the Today Show, or, show or Real Simple, or the Doctors, or you know, just like when I get that placement and I and I generate interest and I pitch something, and then the media says, you know, you're going to be on today, and then sending a placement to the clients and to these entrepreneurs and small businesses and seeing them light up and getting so excited that they're in Forbes. That is what makes me tick. You know, just right. like helping people and helping them build their brands and going from nothing to like a household name. I don't know. It's like a high for me. I can't explain it, but it's every day I get up and I'm excited to work because I love what I do. Well, let's, first of all, let me just explain to everybody. What she just said is not easy. First of all, so there's a grind. And so it is your touchdown. It is your three-point shot sometimes. It is your championship moment when you're able to get – a, a print article or, or a high-profile oh, yeah. radio interview or an appearance on a high-profile local show or a national show. Both of them can have their benefits if you're able to achieve it. And so, because that's part of your brand. So the interesting part about being a PR company, you also have to be able to market your brand so people can recognize your success story. So it's kind of like two things you're doing there. Uh, your PR company, you do PR for me, but also you have to do PR for yourself. That's exactly. That's really interesting. And you get rejected a lot. I mean, that's one thing. I get rejected almost every day from somebody sending a nasty email, but I just think it's hilarious at this point. I used to, when I first started, I had to do it on the phone and people would hang up. And so right. it just gave me a very thick skin. And now it's like, who's going to reject me today? <laughs> right, know? right, right, right. Because in, in, in the end, you know, that, that's the, the word is they can only say no. Exactly. But it also and if ties. They say itself, no, you try again. <laughs> yeah, but it's also tied to you building relationships, so you'll be able to have a comfort zone when you pick up that first. Oh, this is Megan. Okay, what you got? Okay, and they they, they know you provide a certain type of uh, uh, content for their exactly. their, their show, and their radio show. So how was it? How, how difficult, or is it even difficult to build those type of relationships? It is, but I've been doing it for so long, and just because my personality is sort of like, I just don't, I have a thick skin, I don't care if somebody's going to reject me, and I'm nice to everybody, and so it's just worked, and I've built these relationships since I've been in my 20s, and now people reach out to me, the media, if they have stories, you know, they contact me, which is awesome. So I love what you say. I got. I think it doesn't matter to me. Say no. No, I, I'm ready. No, it's true. <laughs> but you didn't always have. What, what, oh, come on now. Come on now, Megan. You know, you didn't always have the thick skin. You know, you 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 at certain type of people again because people call me and I go. I try to explain to them that's not me, and I did eventually. I just have to hang up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just gotta say click, click, click is the magic word sometimes, and so. But yeah. I know that's not comfortable to hear click or you got the wrong number or that's not me click so what what 
what got you passed? We talk. We got people who are listening who who want to get in the PR business. Who maybe the nose may be winning right now in their lives. Their lives. How can they? Uh, how can they overcome the no disaster in their lives? I mean, for every no you're going to get a yes. So like I say for every rejection, and it was hard at the beginning when I first was like smiling and dialing on the phone. And then my mentor, Betty was like, Megan, (laughs) don't take it personal. Like this is not even your company. You're just trying to do this. You do the best you can. And if they don't like it, ask somebody else. And that's what I do. Like, so uh, you were happy getting on the phone. (laughs) Hello, this is Megan. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but you know what? For every click, I'd make another 20 calls and I'd get one that was interested in right. sending me samples. So right. it's like, and I say this with the media too, if you're trying to pitch your brand right. and you reach out to one person at Forbes that says no, reach out to another person there. Or if they say no to one thing, pitch something else. Right. Because a no can turn into a yes for something else. And that happens to me all the time. I might get somebody that maybe first says, why are you reaching out to me? I don't cover this topic. And instead of me just being like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, I'll say, I'm so sorry. But, you know, since I have your ear, do you cover this? And right. then sometimes they do. Now, here's interesting. Now, uh, you know, Light Years Ahead, that's the agency or the uh, company that you're the CEO and president of, been there 12 years. They well, actually, a, that was incorrect. It's been 18. I don't oh, know why I had 12, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm older. See, so, 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 so you're messing over your boy. Okay? You know, we, I'm supposed to be, we're supposed to have a, a relationship. Got bad information in front of me like here. My next guest, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me reintroduce her right now. My next guest <laughs> is the CEO slash president of Light Years Ahead. She's been part of Light Years Ahead team for over 18 years. 18 Woo. years. She's an expert <laughs> in implementing solid PR program and clients from different parts of this country. Now, you have an office in Los Angeles, New York, Kansas City, and Dallas. So that's East Coast. I got Los Angeles. That's West Coast. That's Hollywood. New York, mm-hmm. that's the media capital of the world. Kansas City, mm-hmm. that's Midwest. I have to believe that's the Midwest zone. And then yeah. Dallas, that's South. Is, is, uh, uh, is there a reason for these locations or Oh, you just wanted to move back to Kansas or just that's where you're from? Yeah, when I started, I'm from Kansas City. And then when I I lived in L.A. for 10 years and then I was like, I got engaged and we decided, you know what? This is the cost of living here is crazy. Let's move back to Kansas. We can do this from anywhere. So I moved back to Kansas. Our creative director, who was based in L.A., she moved to Fort Worth. My business partner's always been based in Manhattan, um, Chloe, and um, Betty's in Los Angeles. So we kind of are across the country now, which is great because we have our fingers on the pulse of all the different trends in the different regions. Well, yeah, but Things um, more importantly, you happy though. in California. But you're happy though. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of this call. Happy. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. You know, you said someone went back to Fort Worth area, which is great. They wanted to mm-hmm. be there. You wanted to be in Kansas, Kansas yeah. City, Kansas, New York, and New York. New York is my favorite city in the United States. I've lived in L.A. for 15 years. I'm very wow. familiar. I'm, I'm a Houston, Texas, born and bred, so I'm very familiar with Dallas. So each one of these, I, I can understand how each one really is different, but also how you can connect the dots between the two. Now, yeah. now, when, this is my question. Like when you do like. I've been I've been a manager of talent. I work with a lot of different PR firms. Now, on major TV shows, do you guys accompany the talent to the TV shows or the radio shows, or or you just have a? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, if when we do segments with the doctors um, or segments in New York, 
um, you know, we try to go as much as possible because we have somebody in New York and LA that right. so we can accompany accompany the, you know, the expert. So yeah, but sometimes they want to go by themselves. They're used to it. They like to just go do their thing. It really depends on the client and how much hand holding they need. And also, I mean, you know, if we if we can make it, it's great. Um, and for regional, yeah, I mean, whenever I do segments in Kansas City, I always attend because it's fun. Well, my friend, I really want to thank you for calling on my show. Really, this is you. You know, can you come back? Can we be? A, can you be I like? Would love a, it. Can you? Let me tell you something, Megan. Because now I know you're 18 years in the business. Okay, you know. <laughs> Now we, now I know, we and I'm only 21. How is that possible? <laughs> you know, and you look fantastic. But the, the, this business is about, you know, if you, you know, I know we, I, I get emails from different um, people in your office about various clients, and I'm sure eventually I'm going to get some of them on my show and my platform because my platform is an information based platform. And so when you're specializing in lifestyle, personal health, tech, wellness, food, beauty, less grooming products, services, and personality. And you're going to get that, that scale to me, that, that, that thermometer to me as well. So I can put yes. it in my newsletter, right? Absolutely. I'm getting it to you. Okay. My friend, I want to appreciate, I appreciate you. And any, any closing remarks, we, any numbers we need to call and the websites you need to give out. Cause you, you know, you still got to do PR. I know I'm interviewing <laughs> you, but you still got PR to sell your company. Now, anything you got to sell right before you leave. <laughs> Absolutely. I can help you. Um, Megan that. at lightyearsahead.com and my my uh, website is lightyearsahead.com. <laughs> well, my friend, we're going to talk soon. And again, get that to me. Uh, I know Samantha's probably going to contact you and, and we're going to move forward awesome. and keep building this relationship. And you stay safe out there in this pandemic world. All right. You too. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. All right. Take care. Bye bye. We talk soon. Miss 18 years in the game. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> too much. Take bye care. bye. bye. <laughs> Uh, if you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.